Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by, ever, by oh let me talk again, fuck's sake, I'm a bit rusty myself. Inky <laughs> <laughs> that if you want that in mind. Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, how goes the dying days of your holiday break? I don't know if you do this, but you sort of start the holiday with like oh, I've got 10 days off or whatever, and it seems like the most exciting thing, but then your holiday just becomes increasingly dominated by fear that the holiday's running out. <laughs> um, just becomes this sort of vicious cycle of doom and gloom. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, very much so. I'm launching a game in February, so that's on my mind a little bit, um, Ooh, the nice. last seven days or so. Then I, and I had COVID across the entire Christmas break, basically, oh. so... Um, that's tough. Um, excited about my impending um, return to coffee shops when this is over in about three days. So that's um, that's good. Well, it's damn decent of you to properly quarantine yourself away. Well, you know, it's sort of the best you can do, isn't it? The, but the most offensive thing I did was go to that van outside Sainsbury's and collect my groceries while wearing a medical mask. That seems like a fair, a fair sort of yeah. like, um, yeah. And also having a McDonald's delivered, delivered um, by delivery. That's, uh, you know, that's one for Big Sammy. But uh, what can you do? <laughs> um, how do you spend your break? Do you do anything interesting sort of games wise? Or did you just let the time evaporate around you like I did? I was too brain dead to really achieve anything <laughs> over this break. Yeah, I made a sort of conscious decision to not play loads and loads of games and just to kind of like relax my brain a bit and um, have a bit of a purge. I was playing The House in Fata Morgana um which is like a pretty grim hang like it's it's probably the exact opposite of the the cliche of the christmas game <laughs> like there's there's nothing like warm or friendly or relaxing about that game at all it's set in a very cold house and very miserable things happen there constantly but it kind of amused me to see sort of in my eye line at all times I could see like a relative snoring on a sofa or <laughs> was eating like loads of quality streets so that juxtaposition was quite fun yeah aside from that I've been playing a bit of Steam Deck the last couple of days I, ha- I was suddenly struck with this desire to play the Rusty Lake series mm-hmm. Escape the Room puzzle games they were Flash series and then they got turned into something a little bit more you can buy like I don't know there's like 12 of them or something but they all you know I bought them as a little bundle on Steam and have been tapping my way through those which has been quite jolly actually quite a nice quite a nice start to my gaming year yep that sounds uh, sounds gentle uh, for me I have mostly been playing Vampire Survivors on my Steam Deck um, restarting progress on a different format which is foolish for a game like that but um, <laughs> what it was the only game I really had the capacity to play as I was slowly kind of melting from Covid um, and uh, apart from that I've been watching The English with my family we watched the entire miniseries um, nice. as we all got increasingly ill over the break which actually is quite an immersive way to watch that show we all just sat under blankets being delirious you know <laughs> that's quite a night that's quite a nightmarish thing to consume in ill i would imagine yeah like it's, you know. got, it's got quite a fevered like manic energy to it anyway yeah you sort of bookend it with the odd like uh you know elf or another christmas movie and it kind of um takes the edge off it a little bit but uh yeah. i like the idea of having to have an elf chaser to to, to follow <laughs> up uh, the english yeah. Also, finished Ghost Squad in the arcade as well. Spent about seven quid just running through the levels of my little brother. That was quite fun, actually. Just played Ghost Squad in co-op. Um, Sounds so. great. I've, I've never actually played the arcade machines, so... Yeah, they had the guns and everything. So, you know, you got like, uh, yeah, like a little grenade launcher button and stuff like that. It was, um, yeah, very, very good. In an otherwise very cursed, talky arcade that has like a decreasing amount of good stuff in it. 
um, they used to have a Star Wars trilogy arcade machine, which is a personal favourite, but that's gone now. So uh, what can you do? So, yeah, um, I was wearing a mask. Um, this was before I realised I had COVID. I thought I just had a cold. And I was just, yeah, slowly becoming more and more delirious while playing Ghost Squad in Torquay. That was my holiday break, Matthew. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I wonder stuff. what's the worst COVID game, Ghost Squad or Bayonetta? <laughs> we both sank into illness playing quite hectic, unreal, arcadey experiences. Oh yeah, your Bayonetta experience was super immersive. It's like, yeah, are these monsters in the game or am I imagining the giant baby face on the end of this dragon head or whatever? Like, uh, Yeah, very good. So yes, I'm steadily recovering. Nice to be podcasting again. It was definitely an in- a fairly intense end of the year, wasn't it? As you and I sort of burned through a bunch of stuff to try and forge good top 10 lists which i feel like we did the response seems to have been good i don't think we've massively shit the bed um so yeah yeah it was the first year i didn't shit the bed so i was quite happy with that um i was happy with my top 10 (laughs) rather than like getting to january 2nd and being like oh i've finished metroid dread now and it's not my fucking list that podcast is a write-off that hasn't happened yet which is good um so this month, yes, we've got we're doing this, um, doing a mailbag uh, this episode. So answering over twenty questions from our listeners, which have built up. It's been a little while since we've done anything like this. And then um, we've got uh, 2023 gaming predictions, and then our first XL Patreon episode of the month is Rockstar Open World Games Ranked, so that'll probably be a, yeah, that'll be, that'll be a good time, I think, for people who are interested in such things. Um, there'll also be Best Games of 2014 this month, and uh, there's a GameScore episode planned this month too, so fairly packed, but um, also, like, uh, for us, actually, that's a reasonably light-touch month, isn't it, Matthew? We needed to have a bit of time to build up to a, doing a big series retrospective, etc. again. Are you kind of in that headspace as well? It's quite nice not having loads and loads of homework just to sort of set a, a set a better pace for 2023 i think would be good <laughs> there you go very tired man matthew castle um okay <laughs> so yeah a whole bunch of questions here from our listeners uh matthew this first one's kind of more feedback than um question i guess there is a question in there so um i'll just read this one out and then okay. we'll take it in turns yeah sounds good yeah sounds good brothers sorry i read that in the liquid snake voice um as 2022 oh, I read it as um in uh, the, the Scottish head from God of War. <laughs> oh, yeah, that makes that's probably a more brothers. relevant one reference. Yeah, brothers, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. But I still like Liquid Snake because he does shout brothers a lot. Yeah. Um, as 2022 comes to a close, I've been reflecting back on the last couple of years and how lucky I am to have found the back page. I can't remember exactly how I found it. Was I just following Matthew around the internet after the week spot folded? But I'm so glad I did. The amount of effort you all put into planning the, ep- the show schedule, ensuring audio and recording quality is high, and most importantly, providing well thought out and fun content is impressive. It has to be a ton of work. There's no way you can put together such a cohesive, in-depth, multi-hour show weekly without spending many more hours behind the scenes preparing. You both deserve the show to continue to grow. Without a doubt, it's my favourite pod in my lineup, and I look forward to every Friday and sometimes Monday for new content. God, that's a really good ad for the pod, and I feel very self-indulgent reading that out, but it is nice to yeah, get their feedback. I, I, see, when we get to some of the later questions, I was going to skip the praise bits, but let's have one Let's let's have one <laughs> praise dump up front, uh, and yeah, then, sure. we'll, then, we'll, then we'll move on. Yeah, that's good. But just from this one, we'll probably get 60% of the listeners to switch off anyway, so that's, that'll root them out, and then we'll just continue <laughs> from there. Okay, there's also real shared experience you both tap into in many episodes. I imagine many listeners are around your ages. I'm 36 and have fond memories of gaming days past, insert with wistful stare. I wouldn't trade the life I have now to go back. That's an interesting uh, thing to throw in there, something that the <laughs> listeners obviously thought about. But it's a joy to reflect back on those memories and hear you all share yours. Thank you for your honesty and candidness about times both good and bad. It shines through in the pod. 
I hope you all continue to podcast with renewed vigour in the new year. You've caught lightning in a bottle, and I'd love for you all to hit those min-max levels of support one day. Greatness often comes with humble beginnings. Please consider some beefier Patreon tiers, perhaps a £10 tier or more, and more interesting stretch goals like you're doing currently. I'm looking forward to 2023. Keep up the fantastic work. Uh, Your friend in um, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, Only 40 minutes from the Jack Daniels distillery, Andy Burnett. Um, That's Butterbeans on the Discord, I think. Um, And then there was some nice feedback there on the um, Metal Gear episode that we did on Patreon and the Star Wars um, XL, XXL one, and the Japanese crime fiction one, which are, yeah, good um, paywall content. So I suppose the question here, Matthew, is the £10, the idea of a £10 tier for Patreon. We've not done anything like this because... With the time and energy we have, there's nothing more we can really provide. And so I didn't want to just, like, rinse people for money unnecessarily. Um, and the way we've got it, I think, is quite fair. What, what do you think of this? I think we dent the quality of the, the current podcast output if we were to do more podcasts. And um, we haven't really got the capacity or inclination to to look into you know physical rewards i don't think nah um they're, they're just going to become really really pricey in, uh, in this climate as well to send anything physical out it's just gonna be a nightmare you know yeah i feel like when you when you look at the people who do have more tears you know it's it's you're getting into the realms of like this the patreon is the thing which supports them like fully um you know it's more like a company and so they can they can think it you know plan it out more carefully and take a big punt you know i'm i can just consider us very lucky to to get what we do get and you know amazed that we get what we do get i don't plan to jack in my job and and um go full patreon or anything which is probably what it would take to to make the patreon more complicated tiers wise yeah i think that's um that's a big part of it i also like like matthew i echo the gratitude for what we do get like it's already far beyond my expectations and i don't really expect it to keep growing um the podcast listenership is sort of like steady it's sort of like doesn't massively spike month to month really it's sort of like um but we've got about six thousand listeners in tail something like that and then like um yeah and then so about 10 percent of our audience is um uh, subscribed on patreon i can't really ask for more than that so yeah i think rather than like we've got another question about this later on actually which i've, I've got some more thoughts on this a mm. little bit but um yeah, I, I don't know. I just can't I can't think of anything good. So in the meantime, the idea of what we're doing, which is stretch goals to unlock new miniseries. So the one we've kind of currently got um, com- coming out, of course, is the PC Gaming Classics one that Jeremy and Phil are making. That's a good example of what we'd like to do if we had the extra money, I suppose, is you know commission shows from people who know what they're talking about and people who maybe share our editorial values a little bit, that sort of thing. But um, yeah, in terms of just like putting £10 there for the sake of it, I just can't can't quite bring myself to do it i think four pound fifty for everything it's like you know it's slightly less than a games mag costs um when yeah. you do the tax and stuff and it's like it, the the two pods we make on there is i think are pretty beefy and hopefully worth paying for and that's kind of that seems fair enough you know a tenner's like two decent sandwiches <laughs> yeah it depends on where you go i suppose but um yeah it's like uh, you know two reasonably good pret sandwiches um yeah would that get you two oh, actually it would get you two whole bagels those those are great sandwiches so uh yeah okay and then once you factor in the the gift card with the stamps you know <laughs> you're getting into the realms of like free but let's not overcomplicate it that's cool so what you're saying is let's not mail order sandwiches at a 10 pound tier matthew that's what you're saying <laughs> no, okay let's good, not do that. good um sandwich sampler tier um just <laughs> we'll send you a great bath sandwich and it may or may not arrive in edible condition um <laughs> <laughs> hey Samuel <laughs> okay uh, what am I chopped liver uh, <laughs> hey Samuel hope all is good 
Oh, sorry. This was, a, this was a direct DM to me on Twitter. That's what it says. Oh, okay, now. right. That yeah, makes I sense. Apologize. <laughs> Comment below for the mailbag if there's time and space. Uh, don't worry if there's not. I shouldn't have read that out. It's a terrible start. I was just listening to the Game of the Year episode on a plane journey and had the urge to write in. The Games of the Year episode got me wondering, is the back page now the stingiest review outlet in gaming? Elden Ring with Universal 10s? Nah, just part of a sea of eights this year. Immortality, the PC Gamer 95% rated, and Edge 10? Nah, doesn't even make an 8 out of 10 list. And aside, does this mean Edge 10s are now back page 7s? <laughs> yes. In all seriousness, two great lists that reminded me of a few games I missed. Um, I do think there are a few more genuine 9s, Norco, Elden Ring, probably Citizen Sleeper, but completely agree uh, that your lists reflect the fact that this was a year of great indies rather than blockbusters. Uh, keep up the brilliant pods. Uh, I'd love to see a genuine falling out over a draft this year. I don't think you would. Game Boy draft, fingers crossed, that's the one where you and I just you know go our separate ways. Well, that's the, th- the thing is, if we have a genuine <laughs> fallout, that's just the end of the podcast. <laughs> We're very thin-skinned. And like, that's, you know, I know we joke about it, but like, <laughs> it is true. Like, we genuinely are thin-skinned. <laughs> <laughs> um, like it's not a bit like I think if we turned on each other that would just be it and it would just be it, you know I don't think you could upset me enough to like make me not want to make, make podcasts you've oh, made so I much good know. stuff we've made so much <laughs> I don't know. I think we could go full Banshees. <laughs> you got something in the tank you're saving, Matthew, for a particular... No, not at all. No, but I just... I can't see it. Like, it's not impossible. Yeah, I suppose so. But, like, uh, I'm trying to... Like, one of my New Year's resolutions is to have fewer complicated relationships with my friends and more straightforward ones. Oh, well, that's good. I mean, if, if that's... Yeah, then, then, then the chance of, like, friendship being over has lowered considerably. It's like, if you go, you know, go play the saboteur at your dad's house you prick or something like that like i just that would bounce off of me like you have to say something really personal like i don't know find a mistake that was in a copy of pc gamer seven years ago and say you were never meant to be a fucking editor you loser or something like that <laughs> even then even then i don't think i'd take you seriously i don't know it's like mm. it's tough i think the closest we ever got was xbox versus gamecube draft and even then, I was just very tense because I was starting a new job. So, I don't know. Maybe I could upset you, but I don't think you could upset me enough to not want to oh, make it. Well, let's uh, see. That sounds like you're putting down the, <laughs> laying down the gauntlet. Oh, dear. This is an ominous start to 2023. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, there is a question here. I didn't know if we wanted to tackle the point first about the back page being the stingiest review outlet in gaming. Yeah, I, I should say as well, like we said Sea of Eights. I, I acknowledge that Elden Ring is, is a 10 to people who like such things. And I'm not saying it's really an eight for me. I, I guess that's a hard one. That would be a hard one for me to score. But like, objectively, it's great. But I suppose yeah. I was more broadly talking about the year rather than Elden Ring specifically. Um, yeah. And Immortality, again, a game that I really respect what it does. I just, um, I think like I'm less of, I'm not a big enough sort of cinema head, uh, sort of like foreign cinema clever clogs to get that game. Like, um, right. I'm a bit more of a dumbass. You know what I mean? Like I would... I would rather rewatch John Wick two than Persona, um, so that's just me. <laughs> I, I Persona the film, not the fucking, not yeah, the anime based I, on the video game. Yeah, Elden Ring. I think we justified it in the episode. Like my yeah. the, the short version is, it's amazing, but it treated me like, like shit. So I'm not too worried about treating it like shit. Um, and <laughs> it down lower on the list. Like it wouldn't be a heart pick at the top of the list. It just wouldn't have reflected my genuine tastes. And Immortality, I think, is a really singular game, and isn't for everyone. Like, if anything, I'm kind of amazed, and this isn't a dig at Immortality, I'm amazed it reviewed as well as it did, that, that it found so many people 
in our very small fraternity of of games reviewers who happen to gel with that kind of filmmaking. Like, the reason Immortality doesn't massively speak to me is my taste in films and art in general. You know, I like things which are a bit more nuts and bolts, black and white, literal stories. You know, I'm not big into my ambiguities. That's why I like mystery fiction. I like fiction which has a fixed you know, ending, there is a solution to things. And immortality is the opposite of that. It's this sort of dream-like thing. It's, you know, I'm not a big David Lynch head, and, you know, lots of my peers are, and obviously a game which is quite kind of amorphous and strange is going to speak to them more than it spoke to me. But, you know, I'd say that's the strength of the game, that it has, a, you know, a very singular, specific thing it's trying to achieve. But that isn't a criticism of it. That's immortality doing what i think immortality set out to do it's like it's good when something can speak to one audience and not everyone like um that's you know a sign of a healthy medium really there's a big consensus culture in games where yeah people get upset if like not all reviewers uh, you know respect something the same way they you know angry internet boys jumping on reviewers for you know giving a game a seven rather than a nine or whatever and you know that's we we should be in a landscape where people can like more openly well, you know, feel like they can openly give scores that reflect their tastes and aren't trying to speak to some wider audience. And Immortality is a game that is so specific in its reference points and inspirations that, yeah, you kind of, you know, I, that, like you say, it's kind of inevitable that there'll be some mm. kind of divide, right? Yeah. So, you know, well done, Immortality. <laughs> and now yes. the actual question. <laughs> Matthew's comment about the effective rate he was paid for his Xenoblade 3 review stuck with me. It was something that always frustrated me when I was a freelancer. Writers are expected to work for, in many cases, less than minimum wage for doing a job that is both very difficult and intense. I wondered if either of you, as editors who had commissioned reviewers, had any thoughts about whether there was a way to change this status quo, or even any desire to do so. I don't actually have who that's from. Oh, it's from Sam Horty, um, who is a, a, an actual journalist and, oh, uh, <laughs> and listener. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a cool dude. So yes, this, uh, this is interesting. So for me... I did sort of figure out the solution to some PC gamer, which was we had like a web budget and a print budget. I, you know, the, there was like there was there was both. So, if a game was particularly intensive, you could maybe dip from one into another in order to like get the right level of play time, justifying it. That happened a few times, but generally speaking, I would try and target the big um, sort of like important games that were very lengthy to members of the team you know like um, that's why Andy Kelly was absolutely indispensable because he would review you know both Pillars of Eternity games for example um, or you know that you try and fit things to, to, to people on team who have the right taste for it um, but it you know I, I won't deny it. it's one of those things that's never there's never quite been an easy solution to it as your Xenoblade situation um, sort of reflects it's not like mm. there is I don't know. It's not like you suddenly have more money to commission reviews when a Japanese RPG comes no, out. You, no. you, have, you have the same pot, and it's about how you spend the pot, basically. So it's tough. On a personal level, accepting the work, the way I've always justified it to myself is has been, well, you know, I would be playing it anyway, which is, is kind of the excuse that I think a lot of reviewers give themselves. It's like, well, I'd be playing this anyway, so it's not really work. It is work. It's your working time. But that's really the only way i've been able to justify it to myself over the years as an editor i didn't have an online budget like you'd so i couldn't i couldn't do that i tried to keep things fair by like not taking the piss so if a game's gonna have uh 
you know, if it's going to be a long game, try and give it a decent page count so the rate was higher. You know, you obviously don't give a hundred hour game like a half page review because the 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 pay is decided by the the word count, not the play time. Um, so try and match it that way. I try and balance the books. If I'd know I'd given someone a bit of a motherfucker one month, I try and throw them some quote unquote easy work another month. So like, if you took on a rough review for me. I'll try and balance it out with some like easy preview work or stuff which doesn't require any playtime whatsoever. I think the solution for people who are like freelancers, because this affects freelancers a bit more, is to play games and to be into games where you can pitch stuff afterwards so that playtime begins to even out a bit so you know like the mad thing with Xenoblade for me is because I don't do a lot of freelance writing these days I pretty much only do reviews I played it did one review and then that's the end of my relationship with Xenoblade but if I'd been pitching opinion pieces which I could have written off the back of it you know obviously then that playtime's beginning to get split across those as well and you know I don't do that but I know other people do you know it's why some people you know they they try and you know you almost treat a game as like your beat and then go around all the sites trying to squeeze every drop from it possible so it's it's not just an editor thing I think it's a a writer task as well i think that's true like um an example of sort of good hustle is uh jeremy who is obviously making the um, pc gaming classic pods for us now is like writing pieces on blade runner or system shock alongside uh to kind of like you know basically balance out the amount of time i guess he put into yeah. reviewing that for us at the same time like i think we um you know we obviously feel like we paid jeremy and phil fairly for their time that was like part of why we did the patron stretch goal thing but i you know obviously i endorse trying to get as much out of that endeavor as possible so um yeah i think that's that's kind of one way you can do it to sort of play it smart but yeah it's one of those kind of unanswerable questions i don't think phil savage ever forgave me for having to review the mmo firefall on pc gamer like i think he put <laughs> 60 hours into it which 60 hours he didn't really enjoy and like i was like yeah you know, i don't just don't think he ever quite got over it i think like that that was kind of like forging him in fire so he was one day ready to, ready to be editor-in-chief he just had to go through like this basically sort of like a fine mesh film just push him through it until he was um sort of like fine um but so uh yeah he's the uh, worst bit of freelance i ever did was i i agreed to review every xbox live indie game um <laughs> you know those little you know they had that i think it was called that xblig yeah oh fucking hell that every mag would do a spread of them and it was a fucking nightmare to make what a terrible bit of like editorial that was but i literally like about a year and a half into xblig being a thing i agreed to xbox world to review all of them and i i, I literally had to play like i don't know 300 400 xblig <laughs> games for that hell. it completely broke me as well because it just filled my head like they are i would say 95 percent of xblick games are like one star pieces of shit yeah and it filled my game with my head with so many just bad games that my frame of reference was completely fucked so i'd be playing stuff and be like oh this is a bit like chips warrior and people be like what the fuck are you talking about i'm like oh it's an xblick thing don't worry oh no i've forgotten banjo tooie because i've played 300 fucking xblick games Oh, that's funny. Uh, that's I didn't know you'd gone through that, man. Have you, you been to therapy for that? That sounds like a, a big deal. You I know? thought it would be funny, and it was funny for about the first 20, and then after a while <laughs> I was like, oh, these are really bad. Um, yeah. Oh what, my God. what was the best one you played out of the bunch? There was this one where you, you were like this little telekinetic person going around murdering people, and it was like a sort of point-and-click adventure, but 
also a little bit like not hitman but you were like picking up different items and you could use them. I can't even remember what it was called. Mm. Um, there was a couple of rhythm games that were okay. Oh, they were just fucking meme games. There was so <laughs> there was like about fifty of them were just pong, except the pong paddles and the ball had been reskinned with some like tenuous object. So it'd be like the paddles would be two spoons and the ball would be a Brussels sprout. And it would be called, like, Sprout Pong. <laughs> there was a lot of that shit. <laughs> what was, was that game where you... Uh, is it, was Mount Your Friends an Explig game? Because that was really fun, but I can't remember if it was Explig or not, actually. I think that was, and I think that was after I did this feature. Right, yeah. Because that was obviously a good party game. But, like, um, there was one that Chet and John used to always talk about in their podcast. It had a name like Bleed, but it wasn't Bleed. It was, like, a shooter thing. So, um can't remember what that's called, but anyway, I yes. Mean, yeah, I have, I have really pushed that deep into the recesses of my mind. So. I mean, to be fair as well, like, Xbox has pushed it. Like, is there's nothing like this on Xbox now. Like, where would you even go to find games like this? That that entire market no longer really exists, does it? So, um, yeah, it's just been, it's just no longer part of the equation on consoles. Happy New Year. Thanks again for all the hard work you put into the pod. Apologies if this has been asked before, but my search turned up nothing. Is there a 7 out of 10 film? A true 7 out of 10. That's from Personal to Dear. So, for people who haven't listened to it, the um, we did best games, best 7 out of 10 games, and Matthew has created this entire weird criteria where, <laughs> to be a true 7 out of 10, it needs to it needs to do something very specific. I think like a mix of being, of big ideas and then like true jank as well. Like this, something like that, Matthew, is your criteria for a, a true 7 out of 10? You can't really compare film and game scores, like... Because it's something about the technical execution of it as well, which actually, <laughs> if a film, if a film had jank, I, I would, I would actually find it quite unacceptable. I don't, I just don't, I just don't really think of films in this way. Well, don't worry, personal dear, I've, I've got your back. I put Die good. Hard with a Vengeance. Um, I think that's got. Oh, big that's seven legit out of good though. I think it's like a seven out. Of 10. It's not as good as Die Hard, and like it's, but it is really, it is really fun. And like more throwaway. It's not like a true classic. It's just quite fun. Oh, um, right. It's got a slightly a slightly duffer version of the same villain from the original Die Hard. Uh, I think that's I think this fulfills seven out of ten. Seven out of ten isn't Chris as many seven out of ten's good, isn't it? That's what yeah, we... yeah, was, yeah. Would yeah. you say this is, this is better than a seven to you? Yeah, I think I think Die Hard with a Vengeance is a four star film. Okay, fair enough. I mean, it's somewhere between. That's hence the seven. But again, this is why like. Five star ratings are just how we talk about films, really. So it's quite hard to. But I, I think that's probably it. I just think of it in terms of those. And, yeah. Right. right. You, mm. You're stressing Matthew out, personal dear. We've got to move on. Um, Matthew, what's your next question? What are the most famous or in your wheelhouse games that you've never played? What's stopping you? Or did you play those games later and were you pleasantly surprised, disappointed with them? Okay. I, I kind of struggle with this one because, to be honest, like just in the course of the career, anything I wanted to play, I have played. You're very prolific. You're much better at checking things off than I am because I, I, I get the sense you have no moments of downtime, Matthew, where you just sort of stare at the ceiling. You're like, Catherine, we're watching a TV show, and if we're not watching a TV show, I'm off to play Kirby. I imagine that's like your evening, you know what I mean? Yeah. What have you got for this? Oh, quite a few answers to this. Oh, okay, um, good. Well, the, maybe, the... maybe you'll say something and it'll jolt me into action. Well, the God of War games were like this for me, where like they'd been sat right. there on a shelf. I'd played the first one, and a bit of 2018, and a bit of 3, a bit of 2, and all of Chains of Olympus, but none of Ghost of Sparta. And so playing all those last year felt like me doing that, really, where it's like, okay, big, violent action games, cinematic, that, you know, PS2 
Xbox 360 era games. Like these are these are absolutely in my wheelhouse, and I should pay them. So that's an example of me ticking them off, you know, and making some mm. solid podcast content out of it. But there's a few different examples of this. It's weird that I've never played Death Stranding, for example. Um, you know, it's a oh, yeah. Hideo, it's a Hideo Kojima game. Why haven't I played it? I don't really know, to be honest. I'm not, I'm not sure. I will at some point, but not played that. It's uh, I've I've never played uh, Nice the Old Republic two for more than a couple of hours. I'm a big Star Wars guy, so that's a bit strange because everyone says that's like the you know the best portrayal of the Force in uh, Star Wars fiction in terms of its ambiguity. So that's one I should probably play. Thief seems like it'd be my sort of thing. I've never played a Thief game for more than like an hour of a demo. 1998 one. So um, yeah, that's that's a strange one for me to have not played. Um, and then of course there was Jet Force Gemini, which I coveted on N64. Always wanted to play this rare game. Got good review score from the Nintendo mags uh, played it on the Rare Replay collection last year and had a really fucking bad time as um, discussed <laughs> on the uh, N64 draft so uh, yes um, so yeah those, those are the ones that come to mind um, Total War seems like it should be my sort of thing and I've never really played those um, that's uh, I always wanted to play them after watching Time Time Commander or whatever it was in the noughties but <laughs> never did uh, so yeah, a few examples there, Matthew, of things I should like, you know? Yeah, that's, that's good. The only one that's just popped into my head is uh, I've not played Dino Crisis 2, which is a Shu Takumi-directed game. <laughs> so the idea of there being a Shu Takumi game I haven't played seems mad. I just don't have that easy access to it more than anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I should get on that. So what about uh, Japanese games that haven't been translated that you've uh, you've maybe coveted, Matthew? Is anything like that? You, you played that second... Um, uh, Miles Edgeworth spin-off, didn't you, in the end? Yeah, I mean, I guess there's some um, visual novels, the Uchikoshi stuff, like Mr. Zero Escape. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think there are fan translations of some of his earlier games. Like, if you were really diligent, you could play a lot more of his oeuvre than, um, than I have. So maybe I'll do that, but they're just on my, like, potentially to, to, to play pile. It's not like I'm going to say, like, oh, I haven't played Mario Sunshine. <laughs> you know, I haven't... <laughs> Because Nintendo stuff, you know, that they they make them so many years apart. It's relatively easy to stay on top of most of the big series. You are firmly a, a guy who knows what he likes kind of character as well. I think. Um, yeah. Okay, so what about this next part of the question? So the second question: Do you have any gaming-specific New Year's resolutions? Mine are to finish Death Stranding and to try things outside of my game comfort zone. That's from Contra Ra. Yeah. So I've kicked one of mine off for this, Matthew. I'm playing Red Dead Redemption Two for the first time. Um, I've always wanted to give that a go at some point and never found the time because I kept looking at how long to beat and getting scared by the hour count on there. But I've started that now. Um, I think I've decided against replaying all of the Dragon Age games in 2023 because it's just they're too long. But I am going to play Inquisition properly this year so we can do a podcast when that Dreadwolf game gets announced or comes out or whatever. Um, mm. That would be fun to do. And uh, yeah, likewise, um, Final Fantasy IX is another of my white whales. I started that over the break, and I would like to finish that this year so we can again do a Final Fantasy pod this year where I've actually finally played one of the ones that people like the most. So I suppose for me, like my resolutions are more about ticking off things that I just have missed in previous years, which I'm always trying to do a little bit. I would also like to keep on top of indie games a bit more this year so I'm not uh, rushing to finish Norco in two days at the end of uh, the year <laughs> like I did last year. Um, so yeah, I'll try and try and keep on top of that a bit more. But um, yeah, that's kind of it. What about you, Matthew? My main one is I want to take more punts on total unknowns. So rather than waiting for people to recommend stuff to me, be a bit more proactive in like going into steam or itch or whatever and just to try some stuff which i've literally never heard of because i think we do get trapped slightly in this sort of like vicious cycle of 
a few good games get picked up by a couple of outlets, then everyone circles them. You know, I was trying to trace back, you know, why, you know, why Norco, you know, what, what made people jump on Norco to begin with or mm. what made people jump on Vampire Survivors. And, you know, we must be uh, overlooking games as good as these that just don't break into the cycle. Like, it, it's partly inspired also by what I saw happen with... Um, few years ago when i did like the igf judging yeah and the way igf judging works is they have this huge long list of games like anyone you know any indies can enter their games so there's maybe like 500 or whatever games in there and then every judge gets given like a random selection which you have to play and score um to help them create the shortlist but then what happens after that is you can then select which ones you want to try and people just inevitably end up selecting the things they've already heard of or things which have been a little bit breakout. Mm. So like, you know, Baba Is You had had a very creative trailer that had gone like viral on Twitter. So everyone does their five, kind of begrudgingly does the five they've not heard of and then requests Baba Is You. And as a result, Baba Is You ends up getting you know, hundreds more votes than anything else just because people want to test the thing they've tried. And so actually, when you go into ITF judging, you can tell what the shortlist is going to be before you even started playing because you're like, well, it's those five most played games at the top. And we aren't actually discovering anything new. You know, we're just going for the things which have already been lauded, really. Like, it's almost pre-decided what's going to be an indie breakout success. Like, Goose Game was another one. Mm. Um, That was a meme game, though, wasn't it? Well, that's the thing, but it is me. It's like things which have like, yeah, a particular, you know, a a very sexy angle or were a big meme or whatever. Like they just have such a natural advantage. So I really want to try and go in this year with no like, you know, completely take off the blinkers and just go, we're just going to try like, you know, I I haven't given myself like a, I'm going to definitely try one thing I've never heard of every week. But that's almost kind of what I'd want to be aiming for. Just to try and discover something else, just to you know, I'd, I'd game of the year lists that you know I think ours were were quite colourful and you know reflected our our tastes, but it was still games which had been on everyone else's lists, you know. Well, yeah, the, the lists were very similar between outlets, and I think this is why I asked the question about Game Pass and the Game of the Year episode is how much is that codifying what the kind of canon indies yeah. are. You know what I mean? And like, I think it's playing a massive part in it when you think about how much Norco popped up and a yeah. few other games that were on there, you know? Um, so, but, that, yeah. but that's it, you know, not not taking the easy route, I guess is the short version of this, of just playing what is accessible to me via Game Pass or other subscription services that I have and to like actually like invest in some games I've not heard of. And maybe they'll all be arse, but I imagine they won't be. Yeah. Um, and to see if I can find something, just to you know, just to have some genuine surprises, and to hopefully explore those throughout the year when we do our what we've been playing or whatever. Did you hear of a game called Control Alt Ego last year? I saw it. Oh, I think maybe John Walker. Yeah, John Walker covered it on his blog. Yeah, and I thought, oh, I should probably try that. Yeah, it's like a British sort of sci-fi immersive sim, basically where you take control of robots and stuff. And um, the only uh, only people I saw talking about it, I saw John Walker talk about it, and um, Tony Ellis, uh, formerly a PC gamer, someone I respect more than anyone else in editorial, like he really, really went to bat for it when I met him a few months ago. Um, and then I think Liam Richardson, our, um, you know, uh, who edits our Excel pods and works for RPS, um, also went to bat for it. But that's an example of a game where it feels like if that had hit the right people, 
it would have like really really popped but you know it kind of needed maybe a pc gamer review or something like that to kind of get it that further attention um and mm. so yeah you get to the end of the year and then you know it's got like nine out of ten out of 200 views on steam but it maybe missed out on the sort of like bumper crop of people it perhaps deserved and maybe it was one game pass inclusion away from being in those lists too you know what i mean so yeah yeah there's yeah it is i think i think it is there is like a tendency of like <clears throat> some stuff to just become the canon big indies and then a lot of other things to fall out of the sides and i think that the uh, the maybe the slightly the amount of crossover between the game of the year list this year suggests that that did happen so i, I wish you well matthew i think you're just going to say you're going to play a different rusty lake game every year every week this year because um, i think there are enough of them so um yeah, yeah. i mean like i was also going to say like i want to i do want to play more jrpgs because there's uh, it's a genre i like but uh, have you know? I've I've not played a lot of the canon. Like the number of Final Fantasies I've actually played are is tiny. But I also think, well, am I really going to play loads of like fifty to hundred <laughs> hour games? Probably not. You know, that just feels like I'm setting myself up for failure. Yeah, I think like this year we're kind of like I think we're going to do maybe like four or something series retrospectives across the entire year. And so as to not to make them like backbreaking labor, basically. Um, anyway, so this next question actually does tie into it, Matthew. So. Um, Happy New Year. Game of the Year Year episode was a treat. Found myself pleasantly surprised at the wide diversity in your picks, which has underscored just how great this year was for indies of all shapes and sizes. Who could have guessed a game like Vampire Survivors would be making so many Game of the Year lists? With gems like this undoubtedly lurking beneath the endless sea of hentai and horror games on the dusty back pages of Steam and Itch... That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm going to be trying this year. <laughs> I'm going to basically, I'm going to be playing a lot more hentai games. <laughs> Match three hentai card games. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't Im- imagine what's just sitting there as a humble browser game waiting to be discovered. I read that out really badly, but I've got COVID. Please forgive me. A um, couple of questions here. Do you anticipate more eyes on these types of games from big games media, uh, big games media moving forward? And uh, how do these mags such websites go about tackling this Herculean task of sorting the hits from the chaff? Now, it is like a big thing to ask of an outlet to do that because they all have limited te- limited team sizes and you pick your battles. That was certainly like how I approach PC Gamer. It's trying to reflect the, you know, the biggest crop of things you can, but also there are hard limits. You know, there's only so many reviews you can commission each month, that sort of thing. So doing the discovery is really, is is tough. Um, but this is kind of what you're talking about, isn't it, Matthew? This is what you're going to do this year. So uh, maybe yeah. I'll check in with you every month and just see how you're getting on with it or something. <laughs> that might be good. This will be month one. Oh, I just replayed Ace Attorney. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Month two, I, pl- I played Hentai Tetris uh, this month. <laughs> now, now I'm in prison. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Yuji Naka, baby. <laughs> oh, poor Yuji Naka. Um, again, I think like if a crime is funny, should we not forgive it? I feel like that's a good a good rule of thumb. Um, I think if a crime's funny, or the criminal, like regardless of the crime, the criminal is funny themselves, <laughs> yeah. and like Yuji Naka is like a funny enough character because he's so sour. <laughs> but, um, you know, I would I'd let him I'd let him off with worse crimes to be honest. Yeah, I think like I think it's maybe living in the UK where it's like what. Tory politicians do all the time with like bad PPE and shit like that where I'm like yeah, oh yeah, yeah that's in the UK that's just like what the government does so yeah. the idea that like he's just um yeah made a bit of money off of uh, some mobile game or something I don't really give a shit it's, uh, his big viewer, mistake yeah. was um creating Sonic the Hedgehog being born in a nation that believes in shame <laughs> yeah that's tough if he was British he'd have been he'd be in the House of Lords right now you know I mean? <laughs> he'd, be our, he'd be our new king <laughs> he'd be coronated this year yeah <laughs> 
Oh, very funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, okay. So yeah, I think we kind of asked your question there. Matthew's going to do it. Uh, Matthew's going to find all the games this year, and I wish him well. Um, okay, cool. Dear Samuel and Matthew, that's good, recognising both of us, already off to a good start. <laughs> Happy New Year! Thanks for delivering the best podcast of 2022. Why, thank you. Shortly after delivering the best podcast of 2021. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm noticing a pattern. My New Year's question is, uh, since I'm now apparently paying £10 to get regular call out of Samuel's enemy, which Patreon bonus for, say, £10 would you each genuinely like to implement if you had infinite time and people? And which £10 tier bonus do people on the Discord actually deserve? That's from Balladeer. I'm confused by this one. So you see, oh, you see, overpaying on Patreon. No, no, he's not. It was a joke about how... You made a joke last episode about how... A, we'll do a new £10 Patreon tier where oh, I, will, I will insult a oh, listener I'm, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not up to date on the back page meta That's right. uh, you sure you still want to make the podcast this year man you sound a little bit, little bit tired, a little bit <laughs> worn out by it it's good, it's, you sure it's, you want to be it's here? it's good energy to start with, the only way is up <laughs> ok, um, so yeah it's the £10 question again I have a, a, a slightly different answer to this because uh, the, the question is about infinite time and people basically yeah. um, so I think that like it would be kind of interesting to do some kind of weekly news show, I guess. It, in a scenario where we were doing this full time or we had infinite time, then that might be something I'd add to the mix. Like, um, we're not massive on discussing current events, but I think being wry about it might be fun. And to, otherwise, though, it kind of goes back to what we said before, where is, um, I don't want people to think I'm trying to rinse them. And I do like the idea of everything still being in the £4.50 tier, because then it's like really, really fair, I think, because we're never going to increase that. Um, mm. it's just going to stay that and then people can just pay it or not and uh, you know and they'll get all the stuff that we make so yeah I don't know in terms of like what the discord actually deserve I do like the idea of like um, insulting someone for a week just because they gave us £10 but um, you know I, I do like our listeners really I don't want to be that antagonistic any questions yeah. any answers to this one Matthew I've, I've sometimes thought about like you know if you, if you had more money or time or the ability to organise it whether there was any kind of ironic silly merch spin off of like in jokes and things some like collectible trinket element to it I really like on Twitter's uh, Ben Cameron does the pin badge club. This is like his business. He had an Etsy store and then he does this like monthly club where he he's a design, he designs these cool little badges. And I thought, oh, if I had loads of, you know, if we had loads of money or the money to, to afford it, it'd be great to commission someone like him to, to make a range of back page meme badges you know, like a you know Matthew Castle uh, Productions logo or a big Sammy Holdings logo or whatever, and then send those out. But again, like the the, the organisation of like setting up a big mailing thing would be just so much work. Very early on, when we were discussing the Patreon, I did raise the idea of like when you signed up to the Patreon, you'd sort of sign up to be a, a board member of one of our two fictional companies. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we couldn't. There wasn't really anything that would happen after that. It was just like a, it was just a different name for the same thing. You know, you wouldn't get anything. Somewhere in the back of my head, there's there's still something in that. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned on one of these episodes before, like the idea of being able to do a podcast series where we talk to famous creatives who enjoy gaming as a hobby about gaming the one i mentioned before was like sam mendes apparently quite likes video games i'd like to just have a 40 minute chat with sam mendes about video games i think that would be fun or um stew turton that author author yeah yeah just people yeah like people kind of 
who like games but aren't in games talking about games for a change rather than the thing that they always have to talk about in interviews which is their work i thought that would be cool who's that former xbox editor who's a mate of yours he writes books probably get him on at some point tim weaver yeah he'd probably come yeah. on oh i'd hope so i know T- tim's on my list of like would like to have him as a guest anyway to talk about the n64 ngc days mm, yeah that we should we should try and do that this year that'd be fun yeah know. well i'd quite like to get i think yeah Stu's Stu's writing his third book as well and it'd be good to get on because he's really into games um yeah that that would be cool but um yeah if and if again if we had infinite you know all this money coming in and and no worries about something having to actually be successful i would love to do a, a side podcast about crime fiction it's not that i'm too lazy to do it but you know it would be you know it would it would take the motivation of money to get off my ass and do it I, I couldn't do another pod on top of this just in my own time i don't think so yeah i suppose actually yeah, i should maybe think a little bit more more sort of inventively about this if there's infinite time and infinite money then you know i'd love to have a whole network of different pods that were by people who'd been on the show and stuff like that like the mm. pc gaming classics thing was kind of like step one in that plan for me of like oh what if we had like a spin-off nintendo pod or something and like a whole network of them and they were kind of by you know, former journos or people adjacent to former journos, that sort of thing, because I think that that's a particularly good background to have when you're podcasting in terms of, like, knowledge set, people who share your editorial values, that sort of thing. I thought about um, commissioning uh, Barry, does I think she did a whole range of themes for the the, the episodes, like a Games Court theme and, like, a Best mm. Games of Different Years theme and stuff like that, but um, I think, again, that would require... He's very busy, I think. I think he's working on two video games at the moment, um, working on the game Sentry, and he's obviously a very talented musician, so um, if we did something like that, it'd probably be a... We'd need probably more money than we have, um, honestly. But uh, we, should that's com- what- we should commission him to to write some lyrics and get them properly sung to our <laughs> theme tune, just to get rid of the mental image of uh, our th- versions of it. Because whenever I hear our theme now, all I can hear is my terrible lyrics to it, and I just need someone to come in and like wipe that out with something that's actually good. Yeah, sang by Diana Burnwood, Matthew. Um, that- <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that's that's something to think about. I, I have genuinely considered, like, should we just try and get a Games Court theme? That would probably be quite fun, wouldn't it? Um, but anyway, mm. that's that's something I've thought about. The pin badges thing Matthew raised before, and I really like that idea. The problem is our, our kind of like our memes move on quite quickly. I think, like, even the big Sammy Holdings and Matthew Castle Productions feels like it happened a while ago. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, but um, that's why it'd be fun because you'd look back across your badges and be like, oh yeah, I remember all this bullshit that, that they used cool. to do. I think like Brexit has also made it though that if you want to post something outside the UK, it costs like four hundred pounds now or something because they're like you know fuck the EU, we want to do this because we're British. Brexit's so bad, it's even nobbling our theoretical <laughs> ideas. <laughs> yeah, that's it. it. Like yeah, the limits very much the sky with um with uh, how I think about this stuff now. I thought about a some kind of like digital zine as well, but again, that's a lot of work, you know. We, in a wider sense, we did think about, this is not really related to Patreon stuff, but we thought about like doing a top 100 this year. Did we th- talk about that, Matthew? What was your idea for that? I quite like that. Well, no, it was, it was all the buzz around the sight and sound. I thought, oh, someone who's outside of a, of, of a particular outlet should get every, all the journos in the world to do a really serious top 100 sight and sound, most influential games. Because mm. uh, I don't, no outlet could do it because they wouldn't want to share the kind of spotlight with any other outlet. You know, IGN isn't going to get journalists from all the other sites to compile a list. So I think it's someone who has to be slightly outside the system to do it. Closest thing to this is the Game Awards, which gets journalists from all over the world to vote for it. But that's too coloured by whatever mad 
you know, bullshit's <laughs> going on with whatever they want to promote on the Game Awards. So, like, it wouldn't be that. Just to create a massive, quite serious list that we could then talk about on the pod, it wouldn't be too much effort. I don't know. It's a, it's an, an idea in the back of my head to, to potentially pursue. Okay. Well, that's interesting. We'll, uh, we'll keep noodling that and see if we can come up with something, because I do like a, a big top 100 list. Okay, next up. Um, hi, Samuel and Matthew. Thanks for all the podcasts. They've been a delight to listen to. Just a simple question from me this time. What is some of your favourite video game box art? Um, so for me, uh, Akami came straight to mind. Um, just love the original PS2 art for that. Obviously mimics the art style. Very um, yeah, very easy answer, but it's a gorgeous looking game. And so the artwork, um, I always kind of like liked picking up that PS2 box and looking at it. Melga Solid 4, the UK box art for that with the Shinkawa art and the uh, lit up red solid eye on it. That looks absolutely amazing still. Um, it's the nicest looking thing associated with the PlayStation 3. Um, <laughs> Mel Gear in general has amazing box art, I think. Um, I like the uh, the limited edition of Doom Eternal has an amazing bit of artwork where it's like a painting of Doom Guy facing loads of monsters in hell. It just looks incredible. Or on Mars, I guess. Whichever one it is. I'm unfamiliar with the Doom lore. Um, I love the simplicity of the Heavy Rain origami cover. That's cool. I don't, I don't like the one with the floating heads above it, but the one that's just the origami <laughs> art they did in the UK, which is really cool. Um, and finally... Uh, the GTA 4 box art is just beautiful. It's that kind of like, obviously, sort of um, compilation of imagery, logo style. Um, but uh, if you get the um, if you get the box in real life, you get the lovely embossed effect on the cover, and it's just, just absolutely gorgeous um, to this day. So all pretty obvious answers from me. What about mm. you, Matthew? Uh, well, I, on my version of this document, this <laughs> says, what is some of your favourite game box set? And yeah. I wrote bullshit underneath it because I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> Yeah, it did say box set, Kurt, but I think you meant box art, which is why. Oh, shit. All right. Uh, Off the top of my head, uh, I quite like the Indiana Jones Fate of Atlantis box art because it's done like the film posters. Oh, is it Drew Struzan, that one? Is it like- I don't know if it, is. if it if it isn't. It's someone doing a very good impression, and it just looks really legit. Like, if you looked at it, you'd be like, oh, that's the that's the fourth Indiana Jones film or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really cool. Um Oh, what else is good? Oh, I wish I'd prepared. I do like box art. Um, I wish you'd asked me about this question now, and I'd, I'd have clarified for you. But Ryan bullshit. Oh, is well, funny I, too, I just so. looked at it and just assumed it was just like I don't know what box. What is a gaming box set? I thought it meant like collector's <laughs> editions, which I don't really care about. I did think about reaching out to you, but I didn't know how much you'd want to be bothered by pod admin at this point of the year. <laughs> so I thought, ah, I'm sure it'd be fine. Well, yeah. Oh, <laughs> maybe I'll, I'll shout some others out later as they come to me. Yeah. Uh, like. I've seen you Mario Galaxy, but actually the Mario Galaxy box art isn't that great. It's just Mario flying through space, which is a bit not, obvious. Not um, a big You Are Mr. Gay guy, Matthew? <laughs> oh dear <laughs> terrible yeah and i should say i mean the, i mean the version of the economy box art that doesn't have the ign logo on it. <laughs> oh no i meant the one that does <laughs> yeah, come, specifically that we can come back to that uh because we've got loads more questions to get through so sorry if this is a stupid question but why do all monthly mags have 13 issues a year is it demand from the publisher not that i'm complaining but i do feel for the people in the mag in the november december time trying to get two issues out before the end of the year i think it probably is to make more money but i don't really remember what the reason is i don't think i've ever got told about this but i think it is just like it increases the bottom line to have another issue out each year is that kind of what it is do you think well yeah so i i i texted uh my old editor charlotte saying i don't actually know this like is there a reason beyond money and she said no it's because of money and then she asked other editors and they said, yeah, it's just because of money. It's not like some weird arcane <laughs> magazine craft thing. Um, I think it's that they, 
you know, mags are roughly on a four-week cycle and someone looked at the year and went, we can get 13 issues out of it, so let's do that. Yeah, that really is that simple. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's not like one of those fun stories. You know, you get those sort of, um, like, oh, this thing's called this on a ship because this really unusual thing happened and there's some very, like, idiosyncratic anecdote behind it. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's not that. It's just some greedy person went, we can squeeze more work out of these people. <laughs> okay, good stuff. That's um, pleased to have... Um... Hooray! <laughs> yeah, great. This is going very cheerful start of the year, this. Um, so... Uh, this next, would you read this next one out, Matthew? Yeah. What are your favourite games that you never finished? Why didn't you finish them? Do, do you plan to? What kinds of things <laughs> might end up putting you off from seeing a game through to the end, despite enjoying it? I'm interested to hear your answers for this because I kind of struggled with this one because if I like something, I'll finish it as a general <laughs> rule. Yeah, you're much better at this than me. I leave stuff all the time, um, which is, you know, poor form. I can enjoy things and leave them. For me, like, the killer is rarely boredom. It's always the difficulty of maintaining momentum, especially with longer games. Um, mm. So, um, actually, I think, look, for weird, weirdly, Final Fantasy is, like, my biggest blind spot here. Like, I've played so much of Final Fantasy 12, 4, 6, and 9, and I've never finished any of them, which is strange. Right. I've finished, like, um, 7, 8, and 10 multiple times. Um, but, like, yeah, it's, it's just weird how I just can't seem to get to the end of some of these. Uh, maybe it's, like, partly an, an adult years thing. But, um yeah, that that happens a little bit. So typically I'd start one of these and something big and shiny would come along and supplant it. Or in the case of Final Fantasy XII, um, the PS3 that had my save on it died, so I just had to start it again. But then um, when they finally did the remaster a few years ago, I found I've, I got to the same point and then stopped again. So maybe it wasn't just due to the PS3 dying, it was due to the fact that there was just something about the... Maybe I'd walked through too many boring desert sand cities as Vaughn um you know, <laughs> right uh, maybe i just i was just like switched off by it at a certain point i don't know um the 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 weirdest one recently is um uh, persona 5 i was playing with some with someone else and then uh we've kind of abandoned a 100 hour uh save file due to reasons kind of beyond our control that's tough so i've never seen the end of persona 5 despite getting to i think the last dungeon the one on the boat um so or was it on the last one on the boat I, Maybe it wasn't. But anyway, it was um, at some point around there. So I've not seen the end of that, which is tough. But maybe it's mm. a good excuse to check out the Royal Edition, I guess. So, yeah, momentum it is for me normally. But it's a surprising number of games that I like that I've not finished, actually. I'm just like, I'm quite bad for this. Um, so okay. do you have any answers to this, Matthew? Uh, I've not. I've never finished Fallout 4, which I was quite enjoying. Mm. Um, oh, New Vegas and, is another one for me, actually. I've not done that. Yeah, well, more generally, I think Fallout 3 is the only one I have finished of Bethesda games. Um, most of them I go in and then I get my fill of the world. And I find, I, I think that, I think Bethesda are quite bad at central storylines. That's never the thing which pulls you through. And so in a lot of those games, I just do so many side missions that I, I get my fill of it. I feel like I've seen what that world has to offer. Um, also, I think there comes a point in Bethesda games where like you inevitably begin to see the building blocks of the world a little too easily you know whether that's like assets quest types certain rewards and it's like looking through the matrix just the magic of that place suddenly goes because you're like all oh, right i you know i think i have seen everything this game has to offer and, and that's just never um coincided with me actually finishing one of those things um there's loads of fire emblems I've dumped along the way where you kind of go in and go, yep, more great fire emblem, but I don't necessarily <laughs> have 60 hours to play it. In terms of games I've really loved, I absolutely adored The Witness, but I've, I finished The Witness on a surface level, but you know I'm aware of its depths and I've, I've drilled into some of its cleverness, but 
but that is a game where I was just so aware of of, of being surrounded by stuff which was just a tiny bit beyond me or maybe a tiny bit beyond the time I had. I guess I'm actually quite similar to you in that just so busy in terms of like playing other stuff and uh, you know I in this job and in the career I've had I've just not ever been in a position where I can pump figuring out hours into something really. Yeah um, I legit so. I legit struggle with games that are longer than 20 hours these days that's like that's hard for me i can do maybe two of those a year now and that's kind of it you know um mm. so yeah it's sort of like and hey elden ring's probably another good example yeah, of this, you know yeah you know? yeah um likewise bloodborne i mean and and dark souls this happens a lot with from games secure is the only one i've finished so uh yeah um okay i, think still... I tell you what i did i tell you what i sat on the ending of twilight princess for ages hmm when I was on Endgamer, like I played loads of it the Christmas it came out and then stalled quite close to the end and it took me a, g- a good few years to actually go back and do it again. Mm, okay, there you go. But did you feel like um, completing a part of yourself when you did it, Matthew, since Zelda's a big part of your, your whole thing? No, not, not, not really. <laughs> I was just like, you know, I think if I'd spent... Because uh, that was the one I played when I was staying in my uh, colleague's flat. I was like flat-sitting. And I think if I just had another day of flat sitting, I probably would have got through it. So you, you just couldn't imagine playing the game without rats shitting out of their cages in the background. If, if a rat hasn't isn't projectile shitting <laughs> into in at me when I'm playing a game, I um yeah I can't do it. <laughs> That's my new Zelda kink. <laughs> okay, good. Very cursed imagery to start with for um, 2023. So I like uh, that. So far this episode, that we've started 2023 on a low note, a cursed note, a sad note. I've got COVID. It's like it's tough, isn't it? It's like yeah, we're not we're not coming out swigging. But um, uh, okay, this one is uh, I don't understand what this is, so I'll just read it out because um, it's a Matthew thing. Hi, large gentlemen. This is prompted by a chance re-listen of Matthew's RPS era weak spot. What was the deal with a Spielberg bit that went on for far too long and then died off anticlimactically? Was born of pandemic era cabin fever, desperation for content, or a meta joke on everyone else? Happy holidays, Mr. Mean Mustard. Uh, sorry, Mean Mr. Mustard. Well, I want to make sure I get that right. Um, so... <laughs> you don't want to disrespect Mean Mr. Mustard. <laughs> um, so yeah, what is the uh, what is this, Matthew? The Weak Spot was like a podcast slash stream we uh, used to do on RPS with uh, Cullum, and it had this stupid joke that that we were going to interview Steven Spielberg, and it was just thrown in there. It, it wasn't it, we we you know we just sort of said, "Oh, this is what's coming up on the show," and then at the end it would say, "We're going to interview Steven Spielberg," and then there was always some dumb reason why Spielberg couldn't turn up for, for the end of the episode. It's as I say it out loud, I realise how weak a bit it was. Uh, uh, I thought it would be funny. The thing I've learnt doing this podcast is that you can't force a running joke. You know, people take to certain things and then you run with them. That was an attempt to force something on people that they... they, uh, I was going to say that they weren't ready for... I I don't think there was was much they had to prepare for. What I like this is like the end of Back to the Future, but your kids are going to love it. Your kids are going to love the Spielberg. Yeah, I just... I I always thought it would be... uh, a funny idea just to, to, to say it and then come up with some bullshit reason and then just try and stretch it really far the problem is the only end to that joke is you actually get Spielberg to do an interview 
And that's the punchline that makes it worthwhile doing, which is obviously something I could never organise. But yeah. somewhere in the depths of my head, I thought, if I did this for a year, I could then write to Spielberg's people and go, listen, I've, I've kind of pretty painted myself into a corner with this terrible joke. <laughs> would Mr. Spielberg give me one minute of his time just to get me out of it? And maybe that would be the way I met Steven Spielberg. <laughs> right, right, okay. Yeah, it's got a bit of the energy of that. Um, you know that Dead Eyes podcast about Tom Hanks, right. the actor who's got dead eyes, and then, he's, then he finally interviews Tom Hanks in the last episode right um, talk enough about tom hanks and tom hanks will eventually appear yeah you got to manifest steven spielberg into being basically <laughs> <laughs> power of belief but we bought it after like 10 episodes so <laughs> 10's quite a lot though that's like you know we're gonna force this proper trial run for this um this we, we, we did because it, 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 it was during pandemic time there was a lot of like us ringing him up and then him not picking up on zoom right uh and then we rang him up and got his personal assistant once. Um, that was about as far as we got in terms of the fiction. That's it. On, the, on this podcast, we come up, come up with a joke and then we kind of move on. You know, it's been a while yeah. since I said "always be Peglin," for example. But, <laughs> but you know, people, but people remember "always be Peglin." It's, we you know, should say it. We should say it more. This should twenty twenty three should be the year that we Peglin again. Yeah, in twenty twenty three, we always be Peglin. Um, okay, <laughs> okay, good. Uh, this next one made me laugh. Do you want to read out, Matthew? Hello, festive large lads. I've been listening to the Elden Ring episode again, and there were quite a lot of talk about castles. So my questions are, (laughs) Matthew, what is your favourite video game castle? Samuel, who is your favourite person in a video game named Robert? Or Robert. (laughs) Have a great Christmas, guys. That's from Ryan Plugs. Oh, this was so hard for Robert. So the the best I could find was a guy called Robert Garcia. He's in one of those fucking SNK fighting games. Good looking dude, can beat people up, fine. Um, Otherwise, the closest I got was Jake the Snake Roberts from the WWE 2K games. That's Um, strong. Or, or ROB Rob from Smash Bros slash a real Nintendo thing that happened to promote the NES. Um, yeah. yeah, that was the best I could do, really. So I guess out of those, uh, I, I think Rob would probably be my favourite out of those. You know, he's a pretty, pretty solid little robot lad. Um, what about mm. you, Matthew? What's your favourite castle? Uh, I love Dracula's castle in Castlevania Dawn of Sorrow. That's a good castle. I really like the castle sieges in Assassin's Creed Valhalla which is when all the Vikings get to go and tear up a place that your parents probably dragged you on holiday once. Big kind of let's wreck English (laughs) heritage tourist sites. I really like the Syrian castle in Uncharted 3, which is where you go to a castle which has also become a bit of a tourist attraction. I like the kind of like middle ground between there's a castle with a historical secret and it's also a modern kind of tourist space. That's quite fun. And Hyrule Castle and Breath of the Wild, obviously, like as a, as like the the centerpiece of that map that you're slowly working towards. I think that's quite cool. Mm-hmm. Yep, some good ones there. Um, yeah, Which, that sure was four castles. <laughs> it definitely was. <laughs> And much like um, Symphony of the Night, after I do 200 podcasts with Matthew, he will turn upside down and I have to do <laughs> 200 episodes in reverse. <laughs> I hope you'd enjoy that joke. Oh, that's really probably dumb. Be, wouldn't be much less comfortable than having to record in my stupid pillow box. So. You've got to fix that this year. That's probably part of what's making the podcast tougher for you because you've just got to sit in there. I'm just sat at my desk. Do you know what I mean? Like it's. I really lean in. I'm leaning in on every one of these episodes. I hope you can hear that lean energy. Well, your audio is always better than mine because you can kind of hear my PC wearing in the background when I'm doing it. But uh, no, you should. You just have slightly worse audio, but be more comfortable in 2023. I reckon. But uh, mm. hey, you do you, buddy. Okay, cool. So next question. Good day, lads. I've recently been playing Tactics Ogre Reborn and loving it. I ended up being amazed at the fact it gives you a choice at the end of Chapter 1 that completely changes the story and route of the game, depending on your decision, and that this happens multiple times throughout to lesser degrees. 
So the question is, what modern games would this be a cool mechanic to have included in them since it doesn't really happen a lot anymore given the cost of making games has gone up? That's from KH2698. So I think like one area where if this happened in a game, it would really wow people is if one of these Sony open world games did it. Let's say like in Ghost of Tsushima, like what would happen if you chose to ally with a uh, you know, ally with or betray a particular warlord in your attempts to take this island back. Maybe one route is more of a villain route and one route is more of a hero route. That's the sort of game where I think it could really have an impact because so many people play these things and they don't need to be as long as they are. So you could probably like hack 10 hours out of that campaign but have like a diverging path in there somewhere. That might mm. be fun. Um, but truthfully, alongside the cost bit, I think this kind of choice is also viewed as having too much narrative friction for some developers and that they want they don't want you to morph your character. They want to give you a character who you are attached to and they're in control of. So, yeah, like, another really obvious one I've got here is um, Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Like, uh, again, I think Lucasfilm wants to tell Star Wars stories that all count as canon. But let's face it, the best part of the Jedi Knight games was choosing whether to go light or dark. And I think that that should always still be part of the equation with Star Wars games. I think when you play as a Jedi, because I think it's just such a fun idea. Um, mm. So yeah, yeah, those those are those are those are mine. Um, I don't think they, that would be any less a compelling idea in twenty twenty three, even though it's out of fashion. Mm. Um, I feel like I know one of your answers to this, Matthew. But what do you think? Love to see a GTA campaign that was a little bit shorter, but maybe branched early on to give you the kind of you know almost two campaigns to play. You know, maybe you give someone like a departed style undercover twist where you can be a criminal in the police or a policeman in the crim- in the criminal organisation. So their stories would interact, and the idea of seeing like two life paths from different perspectives could be cool. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, the Fable game that's coming up is an, a really, really obvious contender for this. Like Those games have dabbled with good or bad, but you know the story's always kind of been sort of semi-set in stone. You know, you can just reach the end as a goodie or a baddie, and it doesn't make a huge difference. I'd like to see them be really bold. Like they, they, they've kind of threatened boldness in Fable before. In Fable Two, there were like, you know, big decisions you could make that would have like large world ramifications later on, but they weren't. You know, it was kind of like this this building will be slightly busted up in the future, or this district will be slightly dirtier in the future. Right? You know, I'd like to see someone really commit to something substantial. You know, maybe the secret to that is doing it in a slightly smaller world one of the things i loved about pentiment this year was that it was you know just a single village maybe eight houses and a monastery and because of that it could be you know it could it could make quite big changes to kind of who survived and who lived and died between different time periods because it it didn't have to then rip all those changes out into a whole continent or whatever it was just a very focused study of the town so i'd like to see people take some of that thinking and it's probably i'm just advocating for smaller smaller shorter games either way you know a shorter gta a shorter fable that that actually is replayable um that you'd want to see differently interesting what you said about like people not wanting to create narrative friction i think that is right like the the game that did this so well is the witcher 2 which obviously splits um into has completely separate middle acts based on a decision you make at the end of the first act um but rather than compromise the character of Geralt it it just allows their writers to like investigate a war from both sides and the moral decisions that come in that and it all folds in on itself and just get, you know whichever one you do first gives you um, a much better perspective on the other it, you know it's it's a really elegantly done bit of storytelling i think you can explore a very knotty subject by letting people branch out and tackle that knotty subject from different angles but you know i'd be struggled to see them do it with 
you know when when you've got like a character who's quite boring and set in stone like a a lawyer or drake for example you know i'm not interested in i couldn't see a version of their stories where there's anything valuable in sending them down different paths for example yeah and some of these characters are built with a kind of like brand in mind where it's like well we've got to make three games of this so we can't have them become like a serial killer in the first one or whatever like uh there's there's maybe a bit of that that goes into it um mm. but yeah i don't think there's a massive appetite from developers to do this sort of thing anymore um on the whole on blockbuster games anyway i think triangle strategy had a bit of this this year but i've not i've not played that so um yeah, yeah. that's a that's a huge blind spot for me as well but i think that's kind of like you know that's almost taking the baton from tactics ogre isn't it and yeah absolutely yeah um yeah and uh yeah contemporizing that so cool yeah it's uh but there's hopefully some some sort of good answers for you there um I think like yeah, big open world game would be would be would be a cool place, and Star Wars is still the obvious one. Yeah, I just I think the thing with an open world game is you've got to build that world anyway. And I'm not this isn't me being like so it'd be really easy to make two campaigns, but like you've made the world the world itself doesn't have to be radically different. It could be the same space. You know, you're just taking two different paths through it rather than I think where some games maybe come a cropper is when they're like there's going to be you know the, t- t- splitting the route you take. It's going to have all this like bespoke location. You know, you don't need bespoke locations in an open world. It's already there. You're mm. just taking us to different bits of the map. Yeah, didn't um the last uh, did the last Assassin's Creed before um Ragnarok do this? Uh, not Ragnarok. Sorry, what's it called? Valhalla. Um, didn't um Odyssey do this a little bit where it's like it would have choices in miniature kind of. It did have choices, but you couldn't truly really affect the overall outcome of the story. But you could affect the outcome of different big side quests that occur on different islands yeah, and that sort of thing it, it, it was sort of like a few decisions made along the way kind of like altered the fates of some characters but it was largely like main uh, contained to cutscenes mm. that, that okay. those changes played out yeah okay i don't think i'm misrepresenting it by saying that no i think i think that is true um so yeah okay cool um so next question then evening chaps hope you're both well like so many people, I end up buying various game-related stuff because of your podcast, and this year I decided to repurchase the greatest 7 out of 10 console of all time, the Xbox 360. That's fucking whoa, outrageous. Whoa. Fucking outrageous, uh, that the is. The Xbox 360 had a lot of 7 out of 10s on it, but it isn't a 7 out of 10 console itself. It's a 10 out of 10 console because it has so many 7 out of 10 <laughs> games. It's up there with the PS2, the 360. It's one yeah, of the best consoles ever yeah. made. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm taking it as meaning it has a lot of seven out of ten games, but maybe that's wrong. No, it I, has think, I think you're right. Me. That's fifty cent on the sound. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in doing so, I remembered the ridiculous amount of XBLA games I have on my old account. This thing got me reminiscing about the glory days of the downloadable game, the days where Summer of Arcade was some big yearly event. So the question is simple: What would you say was the greatest XBLA game of this era? Geometry Wars 2, Castle Crashers, Explosion Man, or is it that Free Doritos game that they released for some reason? Take care, and I hope you had, or had, depending when you read this, a lovely Christmas from Adam. Yeah, this is, um, I think Trials HD is like the ultimate XBLA game, because it was, you know, a kind of game that you weren't getting from box games. Really nicely presented. It made the most out of having, like, you know, online leaderboards, which were a huge part of what the, you know, 360's USP was, was how um well the console functioned online especially compared to the ps3 um instant restarts really addictive everyone i knew played it that was really really good but um like adam i have a lot of fondness for the uh summer of arcade thing which added a little bit of um 
curation basically to digital games so how it worked is for people who don't remember or weren't there is that basically they would have four games that would roll out over the course of a summer they would come out the same day each week and then yeah there'll be a new game that and then microsoft would throw a bunch of promotional weight behind them and it was um really good i think and uh kind yeah. of it's game what game pass does now is kind of like this i suppose where they have like the different months of stuff and they're like oh here's what's coming this month but obviously it's a very different proposition because you actually had to buy these games but yeah i think trials hd but you know when um perfect dark came out in hd that was a huge moment i think because i had such a in the absence of goldeneye there was such a pent up kind of enthusiasm for that kind of um you know multiplayer arena shooter to come back i was really pleased to play perfect dark again um i was quite fond of the uh battlefield 1943 one they did the small scale world war Two one that's pretty good um and i don't think it was part of the uh summer of xbla or whatever but i enjoyed costume quest a great deal the halloween themed jrpg game from double fine so let's come to mind i like explosion man as well and a bit of geometry wars what about you matthew yeah geometry wars retro evolved 2 was like a big game in our flat I used to play that with rich stanton a lot we loved the pacifism mode the one where you uh can't shoot and you just have to drive through exploding gates um that was just uh, you know that's a key text of the castle stanton uh, <laughs> flat sharing days um i really like shadow complex uh oh, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a r- really rock solid metroidvania with had some cool gadgets it had like the one which let you do the expanding foam to make new platforms and you could run across the water like the little boy from the incredibles that was good peggle as well oh, a, a real time waster i liked trials hd i was quite bad at it and i used to get really annoyed by like the ghosts and the leaderboard sort of dominance by colleagues who are much better at it <laughs> like that's a game i associate with like always b- being annoyed by how good jason killingsworth was at it right uh, so a little too frustrating to be truly top tier for me yeah i agree with shadow complex again like who was making 2d style met Metroid games with those kind of production values at the time mm. you know basically no one was so um this is before obviously there was an avalanche of indie uh metroidvanias which we are now yeah. you know we are now going to live with forever which is you know obviously very good but yeah at the time there was nothing like this so yeah it was really good it had voice acting and everything i think the story was written by a man who has been thoroughly cast out and with good reason Orson scott card of course um but uh yeah that aside still pretty good i think it's on the epic game store these days so yeah, yeah, I, I was very, very fond of this. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good time. I don't remember the Doritos game though, um, admittedly. Um, Doritos Crash Course. It was like a famous, uh, easy achievement mine. Like you could get all the achievements in like ten minutes. So <laughs> loads of people got it for that reason. Um, yeah, I don't want to sully my Xbox account with that. You know, people can go online and look at that thing. So uh, yeah, I'd rather not. Um, I didn't play it, and I like Doritos. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm a big Doritos guy. So. Yeah, post Doritos Gate, I feel like we had to distance ourselves from such things. But I think this was pre Doritos Gate. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. I'm, uh, I'm I was just sad that I wasn't anointed Doritos Pope. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day when when they release the tangy cheese smoke out the chimney. <laughs> oh, I'm just I'm just recycling one of our classic <laughs> Pope bits. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. But the Doritos twist is uh, that's that's new. That's great, great comedy. That is okay. <laughs> next up, um, hey lads, I recently played and enjoyed Monster Train, partially due to Samuel's recommendation. However, I then got a bit sick, and now the idea of playing it again makes me feel ill. Hope I'm not about to be sued for this somehow. Um, my question: Do any games make you feel a particularly wet, particular way that's got absolutely nothing to do with the content of the game? 
Maybe they're tied to a particular life experience. Hopefully there's the opportunity for positive answers here. Love the show. Keep it up. That's from Bob Bob on Discord. You know, Super Mario Galaxy, as well as being, you know, just an amazing game in its own right, whenever I play it, you know, I think back to, like, just spending half a week at Nintendo HQ playing it and being in this room and just the excitement of being on that press, you know, not really a press trip, but that review trip. And, you know, it's tied to like some of my happiest days working on games magazines so you know as well as being a great game it kind of triggers this like magazine nostalgia for me which 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 is cool likewise like twilight princess a great game in its own right but the fact that i did play it in that weird flat with the rat that kept pooping outside (laughs) of its cage somehow it is quite a wintry autumnal game in terms of its palette but I played it in, you know, a really kind of um, high ceilinged bath apartment. It, it was one of those apartments that had like um, the big wooden boards that you close across the the, the windows, mm. like in the old Regency houses. And it felt like playing this kind of autumnal thing in this big rickety kind of gothic sort of place. So, so that that sort of like helped build on that element of the game. One of the reasons I always come back to Hotel Dusk and Last Window, more so Last Window than Hotel Dusk, is playing that for review over the August bank holiday weekend down in um, Devon. My parents had this big party, and I could constantly hear that the, the noise of like people somewhere else in the house having a really good time. And I was being quite antisocial, but then that's sort of what the game, you know, the game's about this sort of slightly lonely kind of character in his apartment who occasionally comes out and meets all these odd characters. And it, it kind of ties in quite nicely with how I experienced that game and what that game's about. So I, I don't know if that really answers the question, but those yeah. are, th- are, th- are three experiences that fold into it. I'm going to start with one negative one, right? Um, right. I think those are all good examples. They're all quite positive. Um, it's good ways of looking at it. By the way, did you see actually that Andy Kelly was playing um, Hotel Dusk over the break, Matthew? I was sort of there thinking, oh, how can we get some podcast content out of him for this? <laughs> mm. um, but we already did it, didn't we? So, uh, yeah. Yeah, um, it's tough. Yeah. That's tough. He's going to become the UK's predominant Hotel Dusk like <laughs> I'm getting knocked off my number one spot. Yeah, that is a sh- genuine thought that went through my head this Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, we all need to sort our lives out in twenty twenty three. We need, need better priorities. Um, Void bastards. I played with a headache right at the end of my time running PC Gamer, um, and I think it's this is a game that's like a kind of an immersive sim, but more of a first person shooter. I think where basically the NPCs all have um, like Liverpudlian accents. And they like, but like they've been auto tuned or something, and or like you know pitched up, and they go, "Hey!" and like shout at you all this stuff, "Oi, twat face!" and all this stuff, and that like makes me ill to think about the game, <laughs> like that that game and that time because it was like right at the end of where I left PC Game, which was quite a furious, frantic time, and then followed up by some not great times. And like that, that kind of burned in my memory of summer of 2019. Oh God, please stop shouting at me, you Liverpudlian and alien monsters. <laughs> um, there was a bit of that going on. So um, does, it, does this mean you can't go to Liverpool without being horribly well? No, because no, because by it. well, no, because you know, actual Liverpudlian accents are fine. This is like the most dialed up 
and like I say, pitched up with like, you know, must be technically, that it's like, it's it's not what people actually sound like. It's like a really exaggerated version. So, no, of course not. I have no, I have no ill oh, will, good. Matthew. Um, don't, don't go to a party in Liverpool where everyone's huffing helium. That would be a nightmare <laughs> for you. Uh, damn, because that's what I was planning on doing this summer. That was um, uh-huh. high on my list. So, like, more, more positive inertia. I played a bit of the Crisis Core remaster over the break because I got bought it for Christmas. And so um, I did realise how much playing that game was synonymous with playing like my PSP in my shitty Bournemouth seaside flat. And it took me back to that. It took me back to the the really fucking weird landlord who lived beneath me and would knock on my door about all kinds of random stuff. And he was just he was really strange, that guy. Um wasn't it wasn't a great hang. <laughs> weirdly weirdly playing Crisis Core reminded me of that. And that that particular time period of like two thousand eight kind of time and being mm-hmm. a staff writer on play and stuff. Um It's like a much bleaker version of when the critic eats the ratatouille at the end of Ratatouille. <laughs> Which is not what you want, really. Uh, it's meant, you it's meant play to be... a game and you'll magically walk back to a strange landlord asking you unpleasant questions. Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, are you walking around more at night at the moment? There's these kinds of questions. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, just fuck off, man. I pay like, f- I have no money and I just live in this shitty flat with you beneath me. I'm already in hell. Why don't you just leave me alone? Um, anyway, um, Chrono Trigger reminds me of my favourite time working on magazines, which was on X360 in 2009 when I um, worked with Simon Miller and uh, David lynch not the film director um those are good buddies of mine so i played the ds version of that recently and that reminded me of that entire year i worked with those guys i would wheel my chair around and bore them all with discussion of the little frog man that you could recruit in chrono trigger as a party member i was very fond of him and um also going on about how listen this this character's theme music sounds exactly like rick astley that kind of boring uh, chrono oh trigger band they were like really who wanted. is this damn trigger head we gotta deal with <laughs> trigger head. uh so yes um those actually are some quite boring memories come to think of it but i hope you enjoyed the insight nonetheless okay next question matthew with me finding less and less time for gaming uh, would you consider doing a top 10 list of games that complete be completed in a single setting cheers I don't, maybe, maybe. I, I feel like I'd be repeating myself because I've discussed quite a lot of them already. It'd be a lot of walking simulators and Sonic games, basically. What about you, Matthew? Maybe later in the year. Maybe cause I think in my search for new exciting things, I'm also hoping for new exciting short things. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully that will potentially feed into such an episode. Yeah, and only seven of them will be hentai games. So that's you know, good. <laughs> good, good total. Okay, so next question. This might be too close to some of the ideas covered on the Bond XXL episode. If not, quick question to let you put your accumulated Bond knowledge to use. What do you think would be the most interesting Franken-Bond or double-O chimera you can assemble from parts or ideas of the various films? Examples of the constituent parts could be the Bond, the villain, the henchman, the lair or location, the set piece and the quip by any character. Perhaps more interestingly, how is mainlining the Bond movies changed your hopes and concerns for io interactive's project what do you think games are missed from the bond movies what do you hope they don't include from the films that's some personal idea the, the obvious well what i thought was the obvious mashup uh is seeing daniel craig bond fighting red grant from from russia with love oh yeah yeah i think the two of those could really do some damage to each other i think that would be a messy violent fight and it's like two thugs going at each other but why not do it in Christopher Lee's Madhouse from Golden Gun, which is like far too silly for either of those characters to ever appear in. So uh, them just having like them having like a brutal drawn out fist fight on like that beach while Nick Knack looks on, that'd be cool. I'd watch that film. 
Nick Nack and Daniel Craig in the same film is like, <laughs> <laughs> quite the thing, the, isn't it? The, the bit I didn't really get is the quip, because you can't just take... The, the, the quips are so context-sensitive. Like, if Daniel Craig kills Red Grant on the beach and then says, I thought Christmas only came once a year, you know, <laughs> you'd be like, hmm? <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of struggle with this too. The quip bits—that was a very granular question. So yeah, I, I think like I can see that yeah, the Daniel Craig from Russia Love thing is um is a good good fit. I kind of I guess his fight wasn't his fight with Dave Bautista in Spectre on a train was it on a train and yeah, but it's like Dave Bautista's like a slightly different presence to Robert Shaw. Um, yeah, yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah, okay, that's a good one. I sort of like I think I said on the episode that. I'd put Dalton in on a Majesty's Secret Service and see how it goes, and I'd lop out the bit where he's put on the um, campy accent of the. But Gene the thing Lord is, Dalton guy. could put on. He's probably capable of doing a very different accent. But you can't make that bit of the film not shit. It's not possible. It's like a whole <laughs> weird. It's got weird. I've been smoking too much opium energy. That whole thing, like it's just baffling. Um, so I'd yeah. like that to be the audition piece for Bond. That every <laughs> Bond they try out for the next Bond, they're like, you have to do the scene from uh, On a Majesty's Secret Service where you're pretending to be another man and putting on a ridiculous accent to win yeah. a lady. The really dumb mashup I came up with was I put... Um, so I don't know what the film would be, right? But like Connery <laughs> is fighting Sean Bean in the Moonraker base and Odd Job is there and the hat just floats off in zero G. <laughs> that was a dumb joke I came up with. <laughs> And then, and then the Moonraker base collapses onto Sean Bean at the end, like the cradle does in Goldeneye. That's that, I got that basically, um, but I don't you really never need hear like Yorkshire accents in space. <laughs> it's sunshine, Danny Boyle's film is there one in that? I feel like there must be a northerner in that, but I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen it, so um, <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, and I don't need another quip because um, Sean Bean says, "Lovely girl, tastes like strawberries," which is one of the great shit-eating Bond uh, villain quotes. Um, well, he just a- says a- it of nothing in a space station. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, like, yeah, while he watches, like, Sean Connery getting decapitated by a floating odd job hat or whatever. Um, yeah, I like sense. the idea that odd job's hat is just floating around, decapitating loads of people through the film as a running <laughs> joke. In the background, they're like, oh, will someone please do something about my hat? <laughs> Stop that thing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, another, <laughs> another recent fascination of mine, and this is prompted by people sharing images of Sean Connery in the film Zardoz, where he's just wearing like some kind of weird yeah. underpants thing, is how hairy is Sean Connery's back? I'm curious about this as a man who's kind of like not reaching middle age, but in his 30s. It's like, how hairy is that dude's back? Did they have to do any work to get the hair off of his back when they filmed Bond or when they filmed Zardoz? Does he ever turn around? Like, these are all things I've been thinking about lately. Um, not, re- not related to the question, but... Just curious how a, a man that her suit was able to live with um, so much body oh, hair. Just, um, I just really bleak images of you with your COVID fever, thinking about how hairy <laughs> Sean Connery's pack is. It's been a, it's not been the best holiday break, I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> okay, for the other part of the question, I feel like we discussed the our dream, hopes and dreams the IO Bond thing a lot already. I don't know why people keep wanting us to return to the subject of our least popular <laughs> episodes. Yeah, um, I still the the best thing that came out of that was um, Matthew coming up with Jaws mode, where Jaws <laughs> follows you Mr. X style across every single level and you have to deal with Jaws. That's a fun idea. I think a lot of the IO007 will, will rest on the casting of Bond. Um, you don't want the, the Avengers game thing of people not liking the version of Captain America you came up with. Like You, you kind of want that, that to really land, so that's going to be especially hard to get right with um, James Bond. Mm. Um, and also they, should the do, they should maybe cast someone who has once been in 
kind of the the race for for real bond like a uh, like a what if like this is what clive owen would have been like as bond yeah that that could work or like uh, henry cavill i guess um that'd be yeah, <laughs> Every, yeah yeah or lots of different bonds that was the thing we talked about was having like modes or difficulty settings that reflected the, the characteristics of different bonds yeah you could just get brosnan he's still alive you know he still sounds like brosnan like i think <laughs> yeah, he's quite old looking now he is like the video game 007, but um, you could just make him look like he did in 1996. And uh, mm. I don't know, I'm, it'll, it'll, it'll be a different actor, I'm sure. Someone who's um, who can do loads of motion capture and shit. I'm sure that's what they'll they'll cast. Um, I want to see all the all the Bond archetypes. Basically, I want to see a volcano base. I want to see a sort of skiing, uh, <laughs> sort of like ski slope or something like that. Some kind of it wouldn't be base. a true Bond game unless there were three separate skiing levels. <laughs> That each lasted for 45 minutes, yeah. <laughs> and were increasingly worse each time they um, came up. Um, anything else to say on this front, Matthew? Just that they respect that most Bond isn't action. It is actually stealth and mm. social stealth, which they can do both of because that's what Hitman is. Hitman already is a really good Bond game. That's that's what I learned watching all the Bond games, watching the Bond films. Yeah, that's it. Like, it's the it's the undercover thing. Like, that's what the, the Bond games have never respected. So um, I'm with you on that. Uh, I want to see a level where you pretend to be Japanese. Oh, gosh. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> I hope they don't include poorly written female characters that are presented as well-written female characters. That's a diss at Madeline Swan in those um, recent Craig <laughs> films. That's like an attempt at a character with inner life. You know, I love to say that, Matthew. But mm. um, one that, like, I don't know, just com- comes up as a, a very frustrating, unrealistic creation. Anyway... Next question. Question for my favourite podcast host. Is there a game or franchise of game that is fairly well liked that if somebody, somebody says they love it, you just instantly discount their opinion? <laughs> for example, In Bruges is a beloved film and very popular, but I really didn't vibe with it. So when people say they love In Bruges, I just make a mental note that maybe their film recommendations aren't, aren't for me. That's from Sam or SGCH on Discord. What's your thoughts on this, Matthew? Oh, I should say outright, I wouldn't, I wouldn't discount anyone's opinion based on one opinion, but... I'm more likely to be suspicious of someone for hating a great game rather than liking something which is good, you know? Boring contrarians who loudly declare that they don't think Mario Galaxy is good, for example. I've, like, never heard a convincing argument why it's bad. Like, yeah. and, and that instantly makes me think, oh, this is just, like, some asshole who just thinks this is an interesting opinion to go against the grain. Like, they're actually lacking in critical faculties. Like, you've got to have the kind of chops to back it up. You can't really judge anyone for liking something, but I think you can judge someone for, like, just not understanding something complete or just not knowing why you think it's bad, because... I just don't think that's that. That to me just just sets off so many alarm bells that this person doesn't really hold this opinion, and so they're a nonsense person. The Breath of the Wild hating ones are the ones I'm like, well, uh, yeah, you know. With Breath of the Wild, like I've heard some people say, like what what resonates with me in Zelda is like the crazy dungeon design, and Breath of the Wild doesn't really have those, so it doesn't really do it for me. And I'm like, fine. Even the weapon breaking stuff, that's fine. But like mm. Mario Galaxy, like I've legit not heard a good case, you know, case against it. And I have heard people say, like, oh, everyone knows it's a, it's a bit of a six. And you're like, oh, well, you're an idiot then, who just doesn't know what video games are about, and you cannot be trusted. You know, we have peers who hold that opinion, and it's embarrassing, really. <laughs> I think, like, I get this a little bit with Pokemon. Like, I would never write anyone's <laughs> opinion off. Um, you know, the only time I do that is if they, like say something right wing or go on about woke then i'm like i literally have no reason to ever listen to you because you're a fucking idiot like that's i think that's a fair perspective to have isn't it but pokemon a little bit maybe i think it's just because like i think even now like people are i don't think people have ever been more critical of pokemon actually um 
than they have been in the last year or so. But I think that like when people just love them all unconditionally, I'm a little bit suspicious of that because even the things I love, I'm pretty balanced about. You know what I mean? I'm, I'll happily slam mm. the things I like when uh, you know I don't think they're like up to scratch or whatever. Mm. Um, there are some opinions where I'm kind of like, oh, is this person a little bit boring? I guess like if someone just plays Call of Duty and FIFA, I'm, I'm maybe not interested in that whole deal. You know what I mean? Like, uh, but even then, it's you know. But that's, maybe they're connecting with Call of Duty in the way that like Jeremy connects with Call of Duty, which is interesting. Yeah, and it's, I'm not I'm not disputing it's not a good game or anything. It's just yeah. yeah I, I guess I don't I guess I don't outright reject people based on that stuff. There, but yeah, I I could become wary based on those yeah. things. You know, there, yeah. Uh, there was a, a lot of raised eyebrows from me when Breath of the Wild came out so close to Horizon. People who think Horizon's better than Breath of the Wild, that's incredibly suspect to me um, <laughs> about where that person's coming from. And whether I have the same values as that person, that—that <laughs> uh, that is one. But never, there's no. I can't think of one opinion where, if I was to hear it, it'd be like this person's dead to me critically. I do. I do love questions that cause you to subtweet people on the podcast. That's... Well, I just you know what I mean. Like c- contrarianism is just—it's—it's it's just deep. No tedious. value. No value to it. it. The thing is, it happens in films. Like I've seen people like take down classic films in really interesting ways but it just i just don't know it just doesn't happen in games as much like i've I've just not heard very convincing cases against games you would probably describe as like canon classics (laughs) yeah that reminds me of a tweet i saw uh, a few a few months ago where i think someone a thread had gone viral about a 70s or 80s film being sexist or something and how it should change and and then someone quote tweeted it saying every now and then a film bro will accidentally try and invoke the Hayes code and bring it <laughs> bring back the Hayes code basically to <laughs> get rid of like um, bad taste um films and stuff right. and that kind of that that, rem- that was funny because it just it reminds me of how like social media does obviously encourage kind of like um firebrand opinions to sort of catch on or but quote tweet this with your hottest take on something or other and you know um when you live in a sort of oh. storm of that i think like sincere opinions have more value than ever which is why i don't think this podcast is very big on hot takes we're very much like we oh, say hot takes about... a lot but actually we don't have them <laughs> no it's also such an outdated phrase as well like it's just very 2014 kind of um media yeah, time that's fine okay 20... I, I was happy in 2014 <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i was i was yeah probably happier because you know pandemic hadn't happened anyway moving on by jumping into cyberpunk away from the hullabaloo of launch she made the point that the context where a game is played is a real part of the experience what games have you loved because of that meta experience? E.g., a popular angle in cyberpunk discourse was that playing broken cyberpunk 2077 was cyberpunk itself. Rolls eyes, that's from me. And <laughs> Animal Crossing New Horizons landed in a world where uh, in real life isolated people needed comfort from escapism and routine. Follow-up, as journos, did PR efforts feed into that in a big way? That's from Roboku. This, I guess this is kind of similar to the association of a game yeah. with a feeling, right? But I actually did come up with different answers for this for whatever reason. Um, mm. Maybe it's because the situation overrides the game a little bit more. Um, so, uh, for example, there was that weird Christmas Eve where I missed eight trains because I finished the Force Unleashed tw- 2 twice. That was weird. Yeah, um, that's weird. That is weird. <laughs> There was a Christmas Day 2003 where I really upset my mum because I wouldn't let her dye my hair for a laugh. Um, and I got sent to my room where I played through the snowy area in disc two of Final Fantasy VII. So that I will... <laughs> wait, let's, wait, why did she want to dye your hair for a laugh? There was some weird thing she was doing that year where like I wasn't allowed to have my gifts until I'd done a series of challenges. Her and my dad. My mum was really down on Christmas for years. She's Not these days, but... <laughs> 
um, she wanted us to like I don't know I think there was a uh, some eating things challenge some kind of like there was a challenge where my hair had to be dyed before I was allowed to go and hunt for my presents and I actually looked under the stairs and just found an Xbox there and my mum was so fucking mad with me that she sent me to my room it's really confusing um, wow yeah. I mean, that sounds like it should have been a great Christmas <laughs> well the gifts were it was great I got yeah I got Buffy season 6 and an Xbox it was decent but yeah but I, I have a particular affection for that part of the game I guess and consider it a little festive because I played it on Christmas day in like 2003 right. so, um, I just like the idea of your parents being like we've got you those gifts and, and in exchange we can like sort of torture you for a bit (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was a bit it was like that it was like (laughs) sure you've got we got you nice things but you're not going to get them for free it's like there will be a price basically you have to pay the humiliation price (laughs) what parent gets oh i mean let's not interrogate that that's yeah there's a bit of like faustian pact stuff going on there really it's yeah a bit strange um the other one i thought of is i've discussed this before but i i I took an xbox home on christmas 2009 to play mass effect 2 and review that so that was you know, I had like two weeks to basically play this game before anyone else played it. And um, obviously that was one of the best games ever made. So that was a hell of a thing to experience firsthand before anyone just relaxing at home over a Christmas break. That was like perfect match of context and game, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think PR really feeds into it, to be honest, because you can't, you can't force these things into being. You go to the odd like review event, but those always made the situation worse. I didn't enjoy any review event because they were kind of like luxury prisons, really. Um, mm. And now they don't really exist because of the pandemic, and that's probably a good thing. Um, thoughts, Matthew? The review events are just designed to try and make the space you're in as sort of unintrusive as possible. Like You're just at your most relaxed so that the game can be enjoyed at its smoothest. So it's not like you're in a particular interesting space that ties into the game. One that does stick... I remember like the experience of playing it maybe as fondly as the game itself uh, was when I was reviewing Fatal Frame on the Wii, the Japanese imports, in that the design of our flat, this is when I was living with Rich Stanton, one half of the flat was quite open plan. It had like the lounge and and the kitchen and it was like a big, uh, almost like a sort of semicircle shape. And the TV was in the point of the semicircle, like if you can picture that, so like right at one end. And it meant that if you were playing a game on it and you had, if you, you know, I had, I had a big armchair that I'd move in front of the TV for like long review sessions. It meant I was really in the corner of this massive room and there was a lot of the room open behind me, which actually when you're playing a horror game, is quite a weird space to be in. Like it was quite a bad flat for horror games because the room was so big, you'd be very aware of, like very vulnerable because there's just a lot of open space behind you with lots of things that could make noises, like a whirring fridge or maybe Rich coming into the room to get a bean burger. (laughs) 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 So, like, that review experience and how spooked out I got in this this weird little corner of the room, I remember feeling very unsafe playing it, which is probably why I rate it more than most, just because it was a very effective horror-playing time for me. Mm. Also, this is the one where you had the great anecdote about how you convinced that the um, the desk was making the Wii rattle on purpose. Like you were convinced. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, my my absolutely based on nothing theory was I love that that. Love that. that's yeah that the way they'd composed the files on the disc meant that it, it forced the Wii to do lots of very noisy loading at like bad times because the Wii would really come to life when the game was like at its most quiet and it would scare the shit out of me that's definitely <laughs> bullshit that isn't something they did i think it's just like a badly optimized game <laughs> um, but that's that's the headspace playing fatal frame got me into where mm. i was absolutely convinced that this was happening <laughs> which i think is a, a you know a pretty effective time 
This game is about to be remastered, isn't it, as well? Um, yeah, and they never all play it and go, well, it's a bit 7 out of 10, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's because it's a Wii game for 15 years ago, right? And But I think this technically, I think it technically has a Nintendo SBD developer credit, this one. So you'll, you know, this will be a game that has in some way been part developed by Nintendo, appearing on other platforms next year, which is quite wild. Yeah, um, part developed by Grasshopper. Very yeah. weird game. <laughs> yeah, re- that's a really strange. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued to um to try it out and uh, yeah, Ooh. see how see how it goes. But uh, okay, good stuff. So, is there anything in games that, while commonplace now, still impresses or excites you when you see it? Example: I still like being able to shoot out glass windows in an FPS. Some Gildier on Discord. Um, what's your answer to this one, Matthew? Uh, dead simple. Water reflections always. That will mm. always impress me. Uh, even basic, like basic pitch, you know, where they've just flipped it onto the water. I'm still like, wow, that water's got real presence. It's reflecting the world. Ray tracing reflections when they are like hyper realistic and accurate. Like, obviously, that's amazing. But I-, I will be impressed by like the crudest possible version of a reflection. So that is still magic to me. Yeah. Matthew's still absolutely dazzled by the reflections in the lakes in uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus. Um, just like, <laughs> wow, that PS2 ass reflection, man, that's blowing me away. I'm telling you, reflection, it's like, I don't know, that's, that, that seems to me like, oh, I wouldn't even know where to start making that happen. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't, don't know you're a big ray tracing guy. In, in, interesting. No, I'm a reflection guy. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, no, I like that too. Um, I've got a few here. So, big monsters, man. I love seeing big monsters in games. The bigger, the better. That's what I loved about Elden Ring was charging through a landscape and seeing a giant dragon or some kind of weird mm. fucking thing in the distance. Like that, that's like a Shadow of the Colossus thing, I guess. But I just, you know, I will always love seeing a sort of kaiju-sized monster in something. That's always appealing to me. No matter how badly they're animated, I'm always game for that. Um, I always love a good reload animation on a gun. Like when that's done really like oh, yeah. crisply. Oh, that can be real tasty, that can. Um, they put detail into that. Um, which sounds a bit twisted from someone who, you know, <laughs> would otherwise be very anti-guns. But um, hey. <laughs> um, so yeah, like, and Destiny has like loads and loads of nice ones, as you'd expect. Uh, other ones I like um, beautifully animated finishers will always make me go core. So um, Avengers actually had a few of those. The Avengers game was quite good for that, where Captain America would do some sort of random bullshit um, with his shield, which would be cool. Or Thor would have some good ones. Sifu has some really nice ones where it'll just plow someone's head into like a wall and then give them a boot or something. You're like, oh, mm. that looks like really painful, but um, felt really good, especially in a game that's about revenge like that is. Um, and I'll never stop being impressed by like seeing skyscrapers in an open world game that you can drive towards. And um, Cyberpunk viscerally brought that back to me. Where I was like, oh, wow, just being in a city is still always really appealing to me. So mm. yeah, there you go. There's those, um, there's the, the basic bitch things that I get excited about. Hope oh. you enjoyed that. I got one more very fine textured fabrics in games. You know when you can see like crazy detail in like yakuza suits or even in like fancy games when like the armor's got very ornate decorations on it or the witch has got some very fine like fabrics that Geralt can wear. I'm I'm always like, "Oh, that looks really good." What was the um the the first Smash Bros where Mario had denim, Matthew? I was there thinking, "Oh, that's some nice denim that is." Oh, yeah, that has to be GameCube. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it might be, yeah. And then you can zoom in real quick and look real close and see the stitching on his Oh, um, yeah. I love, fa- I love a fabric. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, a bit of fabric reflected in some water. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> now uh, we're talking. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, large lads. I often find when playing games, I'm always searching for those I'm unable to put down, e.g., Hollow Knight, Stardew Valley, Tunic, but I've never thought deeply on what makes these games so incredibly compelling. 
Have you guys often experienced a thirst for that addict hit? And have you ever managed to put that into words? That's from Pip. The best I did with this was in the Game of the Year episode where I said, um, Tesla tanks zapping the pleasure centers of my brain. I think that was pretty good. Um, <laughs> that's a big part of it, what, what makes the game compulsive to me. But I suppose that's not... There's a bit of compulsive of a compulsive nature to Stardew Valley, for example, but I don't know if Tunic really is comparable to that. But those games that are like raw feedback loop, basically, and 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 that's why they're addictive, like Vampire Survivors. That's how I describe that sort of thing. Just anything that uses a bit of my brain that hasn't been used recently by something else is 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 good. Which means it's quite hard to imagine where the next thing's going to come from. You know, sometimes it's just the yeah that that like the the raw feedback loop of a Vampire Survivors, but then it's the deductive pleasure of an Obradin or Golden Idol or it's the audiovisual bombardment of a of a Mario game just hearing and seeing you know what they've cooked up it's it just I don't know I mean every isn't every review we write individually an attempt to try and capture <laughs> what what makes that one thing do the thing it does I don't know if there's like one thing that I'm particularly re- reacting to whatever that is it's maybe harder to get with age or it not i don't think it dulls but maybe like the more you play you've just seen more variations on things and it's harder to kind of get that original hit again you know like i remember being a kid or a teenager and playing stuff that it like got into my brain in a way that things don't anymore you know like when i first played golden eye you know even after a couple of hours the first evening that was burnt into like my eye when i closed my eyes i could see it it was just so like vivid and exciting to me but i don't i haven't had that level of kind of obsession like instant obsession you know for you know maybe 15 years or something that's that's but, i guess that's partly a time thing and also like you'd never seen anything like golden eye at the time so yeah yeah I, I i i hope that there will be something in my lifetime that i have never seen the likes of you know that will be that will be so impressive that it will have that kind of wow factor i maybe i maybe i had a bit of that with like very good vr where you're like oh shit this Alex. is something else yeah um that sensation of like this is beyond anything i've experienced before but yeah, hard mm. to imagine where it'll come from yeah for sure uh okay interesting dear men of normal size one of my biggest memories of the gba in my teens was playing mario kart super circuit while playing queen queens of the stone ages songs for the deaf more recently, I'd mute Destiny 2 soundtrack and usually put on the No Man's Sky soundtrack through Spotify, <laughs> the only thing that made it bearable. My question is to Samuel, are there any video games you associate with music other than the game soundtrack? That's from Samuel. I don't know if it is from Samuel, actually. I might have just written down Samuel because it said Samuel the question. <laughs> right, so you like writing here. Yeah. That's just <laughs> like, like yes, COVID Samuel. narcissism, that's all that is. Um <laughs> God, I have a really funny answer to this. I can't remember if I've talked about this before, but um, one of the weirdest things I did was obviously the original Xbox, the first console to have like a hard drive and therefore like you could do custom soundtracks on it. So I ripped the greatest hits of REM to my friend Donald's Xbox and then played True Crime Streets of LA <laughs> with REM in the background. But So it was like driving around LA and shooting guys while hearing imitation of life. It was really... like. I mean, what, yeah, I, th- I think, like, I stopped short of putting Everybody Hurts on there, which would be really fucking weird. Um, <laughs> but because of the lazy way they incorporated custom soundtracks into that, all it would do is play the same linear, like, list of tracks 
um, it would reset every single time there was like a cutscene or something. So it just start the same fucking REM album again from the start. And it's like, <laughs> oh, we're listening to Bad Day again. I can't fucking stand this. And like, it was um, that backfired. But that was quite funny, I suppose. Because um, maybe the character in game was just a guy who liked listening to albums <laughs> in their entirety. <laughs> Also, this is directed at me because I assume that, you know, maybe you thought that it wasn't for you. But I like the idea of you playing true crime and then fucking, uh, you got a friend and me. I'm sorry, it's the only Randy Newman song I know, Matthew. But like, <laughs> no, that's uh, fine. Have you done anything like that? Custom soundtracks? Uh, well, I talked about on here about listening to Best of Danny Elfman while playing Call of Duty 2. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, cool. uh, that's, that's a big one. Uh, I, I used to play uh, Soldier of Fortune 2 online with um, Ben Fold's songs for Silverman <laughs> burnt onto the PC, which is just him, you know, doing his Ben Fold's quite gentle thing while I was getting shot in the head by a lot of American teenagers. So that was fun. <laughs> That's another album I now associate with death and fear. Yeah. I, I did have something ripped at my Xbox 360, which I used to listen to a lot when I was playing Modern Warfare 1 and 2 online. Oh, that I've got a really embarrassing one off the back of that, actually. I, oh, I yeah, ripped it. I ripped the Dark Knight Rises soundtrack to my Xbox 360 <laughs> while I did challenge rooms in Arkham City. I thought it was the oh. best. <laughs> so you got a fucking Bane theme playing while I'm beating dudes up. So embarrassing, that is. Um, That's very you. Yeah. How I was not single at that point is beyond me. Um, but, we uh, used yeah. to play Mario Kart Double Dash in my friend Dave's room at university. Because he had a TV. He was the only one who had a TV. It, but that meant having to listen to his music, which I would say was... <laughs> It, like not it's not my cup of tea godspeed you black emperor and all that kind of stuff oh yeah i don't know much about that so no uh, yeah. not but not mario kart music <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know if that really matches a tone of baby park you know what i mean um uh, that's funny um the other weird one is that when i got first got an ipad imagine at one one year gave us ipads and uh you know it was quite nice we didn't get bonuses so that was the as good as we got um but basically i i, I used this to catch up on a bunch of ios games and i have really distinct memories of playing infinity blade and game dev story while that first xx or the x's album i don't know fucking how you pronounce that band's name but you know what i mean sort of like sad plinky plonky electronic music um they're pretty good and uh that would play my ex would play that all the time before bed about 11 years ago and so i was just noodling away at game dev story coming up with fucking golf simulator games that sold 20 million copies um while that was playing um so yeah that's another strange one i guess uh so yeah it happens sometimes i was also too scared the first time i played resident evil 4 and through the village bit i had the greatest hits of nirvana on um because <laughs> we used to have a stereo system connected to our tv so that's another one um but yeah that's uh that's basically just it, what you know. mccarney wanted <laughs> i just to be very clear i've since played it without the greatest hits of nirvana and uh had a good time I, I can handle it now do you want to read this next one matthew what are some of the biggest slash famous media that have had video games based on them but never a truly great game e.g has star trek or lord of the rings or discworld ever had a truly great classic game that's from dice yeah it's a weird one because wouldn't people say discworld noir is an example of that yeah I, I would say the, the three discord point and click games like they're reasonably well liked discord discworld noir i think is is probably of the three of them yeah the one which is i, I don't know if it's like a classic classic adventure game but it's they're not hated, Beloved. for sure. Yeah, um, Star Trek had the elite, elite force, which were yeah. like a raven uh, shooter. That's pretty good. Um, you got to do a bit of sneaking around, shooting the Borg with a phaser. That was cool. Yeah, there's probably there is probably still a you know a, 
something to be like an RPG or something to be made with um, Star Trek or something like I, that. Um, I don't know if, if any of the are any of the Star Trek kind of like space battle games good. I don't know. Is that that? I suppose there's that. There was that Bridge Commander VR game. People seemed really keen on that one. Oh um, yeah, that was. That seems like it's quite hard to play because you need like four or five people with VR headsets. But I gave that a go and it was fun. But I suppose Ooh. like. Yeah, I don't know otherwise. I don't think any of them did score that well. Um, so yeah, there's there's potential there. If uh, you were gonna yeah. pump, if you if you had an like infinite budget to make an incredible AAA whatever, which Star Trek series do you think you'd adapt? Oh, I think I like the idea of doing like Strange New Worlds, the kind of Mass Effect style game. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Where you basically just cycle between different stories, but then maybe one larger story emerges. I mean, that's the thing is Mass Effect kind of does that, right? It lets you go mm. to these different worlds, and you know, you don't you don't make first contact as such, but you are learning more about the universe as you go, and many narratives play out as you go. Um, what about you? They could do a like a Citizen Sleeper set on Deep Space Nine. They could kind of take that and reskin it <laughs> <laughs> if they if they ever wanted to do a licensed spin off, which I imagine they probably wouldn't, uh, knowing the team being quite independently spirited. It would probably do Gangbusters. <laughs> have you seen Lower Decks, the animated series? That'd be quite a fun point and click style premise. I haven't. I, I always look at the thumbnails and think, <laughs> mm, this looks like a Family Guy sketch, not for me. <laughs> It's like it's slightly better than that, but I feel like I haven't got to the bits that you know maybe people have really love about it. It's like a slightly harder work than I thought it would be, but um, don't hate yeah. me, listeners, because I know some of our listeners really like that show. Um, okay. uh, yeah, so I actually thought of a few answers to this. I thought, is it weird there hasn't been a good Mission Impossible game when that franchise oh, has been around that's for what so I wrote long? Down. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you think it's the Tom Cruise factor that's kind of ruled that out? But Mission Impossible wasn't very like cool for quite a long time. So recently, that it's become like mega business again. Yeah, and it sort of defined itself by being like, this is an experience you can only really have in the cinema. So maybe they just don't want to make games because of that. I am really surprised no one's taken a a second swing at Mission Impossible. It must have been pitched because the first one was kind of pure, like you know, we need a tie-in out kind of thing, wasn't it? Um, if I, I would love, uh, I think Naughty Dog could make a great Mission Impossible game. Yeah, because I th- I don't think it needs to be complicated systems driven. I think it just needs to be pure spectacle. And I always thought the 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 mission where you go to the auction in Uncharted Four always feel that feels like a Mission Impossible set piece to me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or even like climbing that giant tower that collapses or something like that. Yeah, kind of just a... sort of, that's what that's yeah. They should they should do that. Yeah, um, that was a good one. Um, I think like there's there's surely a good Evangelion RPG to be made. Um, where you can have a I mix of fuck like... all about Evangelion. When anyone <laughs> says that, I, uh, I'm having to reverse engineer what Evangelion is based on what other people say is like Evangelion. When people are like, it's like the mech, or like Metal Gear is really Evangelion. I'm like, okay, noted. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, I want it to be this. And I'm like, oh, okay. So what this show is, is very <laughs> odd in my head. Is, it, is Evangelion about meat? <laughs> uh not really. I mean, it's you know, it's basically a series of boss battles, but the boy who's got to fucking participate in the boss battles is as a load of trauma going on. That's basically what the show is. Um, has it got? Has it got things which are like half machine, half meat? Yeah, basically, it's like the the things they fight are kind of like organic sort of mech things. Um, right. Okay. So there's a bit of that going on, but you saying meat makes it sound like you know, it's not about salted beef. You know what I mean? It's not about like. <laughs> no, but everyone. Always, I, I often see it. People talk about they're comparing to like meaty horrors or like where meat, where man meets machine, and I always assume, oh, well, it must be like some horrible cyborg nightmare. 
Well, I didn't play enough of it to really verify this, but it felt like 13 Sentinels was very Evangelion. Like it's, you know, teenagers and mechs having okay. emotional problems and they were still at school and stuff like that. There was maybe a bit of that going on. In, uh, I've got to play more of that, really. But uh, it's very influential. You can see it. I don't know about Metal Gear as such, but de- well, I suppose maybe a little bit, but definitely in Final Fantasy VII, like the the weapons you fight in that and stuff are very, very Evangelion. If it, and it was the same time, so it feels like that's kind of relevant. Um, the other one I came up with is, like, um, I think mostly, like, superheroes haven't been given good games. Like, um, you know, X-Men, for example. Like, I I think I feel like the this Wolverine game is maybe a chance to, like, do one, and then maybe if it's successful, you could bring in more more of the X-Men in the sequel or something. I don't know, something like that. Um, mm. Otherwise, I do feel like Lord of the Rings is the big one. Like, whatever way you look at it, that's still a a lot of seven out of ten games based on that on a series that can surely could surely support a, a good nine or ten out of ten mm. kind of game. Um, any others, Matthew? Or should we move on? Mad that there's never been a good Superman game. Yeah, really weird. Um, but yeah. you know, the, the design challenge of making a challenge that someone that strong can be held back by, I think, is still the big problem with that. I tell you what, it was suited is um, Avalanche um, because they. You're basically like a Superman mod in Just Cause would probably work quite well, but like, um, you know, right. you, you need that sort of scale of sandbox, I think, to make it work, you know, so you yeah. can, can actually feel yourself flying from one part to another. Um, but yeah. But it's a stake, isn't it? He like rescues people a lot. Rescuing is a hard thing to do in games mm. without it being really boring. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, so no one solved that one. I think there was a rumor that Rocksteady were making it, but I'm not, not so sure. I don't know. Um, all right, then, next up. Uh, what are the best game lies you've you've heard slash were told? <laughs> the 4K Nintendo Switch, Matthew. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking my uncle who works at Nintendo told me type of stuff. In school, I once tried to convince my friends that I'd seen some of the Pokemon that would be in Gen 3 before it was out. When pressed, I said there was going to be a Mr. Mime evolution called Mrs. Mime. <laughs> and that Gen 2's weird rock tree, Pseudo-Wudo, would evolve into a Pseudo-Wudont. <laughs> And that I'd re- read this in the game section of one of those A5-sized kids' mags. That's from Craft Cheese. Um, what's your answer to this, Matthew? I mean, the classic one is, like, afternoon spent trying to activate some variation of the Tomb Raider nude cheat that we've heard about <laughs> in the playground. And it was always so many, like, bizarre routines you had to do in the Lara Croft mansion. Yeah. Like, run around the pommel horse, you know, five times and then do eight backflips and then all her clothes will fall off. <laughs> Which, obviously, now in hindsight, when you look at her, you're what a nightmare, polygon nightmare that would be. Um, and again, I make the point of why would you want to put Lara Croft naked in front of her butler? How fucking strange is that? That's, <laughs> I always come back Traumatise that. that dude. I remember fibbing to friends about uh, having a red alert expansion pack that didn't exist <laughs> what was in it what happened uh, i don't know i just made up a load i just imagined some units i thought would be good <laughs> <laughs> and told everyone about it and it's really easy to get found out because it's like well this thing isn't available so it's quite a bold lie <laughs> yeah i did always like it when this would happen and it would turn out to be true like the the weirdest one being the missing no pokemon one we could like right. infinitely level up and stuff like that you'd just be fighting this really fucked up barcode that would mess with your game that was that was pretty cool because a, a guy literally explained that to me in like the clearing of a park, um, and he seemed really convincing. And I thought, and it was just, it was just really weird. A guy weird. you knew or a stranger? He was kind of like there's this, there was this a super nerdy mega brain guy who I wasn't friends with, but I kind of like he he knew a friend of a friend, and he just told me about it. It's like you have to go to Cinnabar Island, and you have to surf up and down the side of this island, and then it will. And I was like, 
okay, this sounds made up, but it was true. And that was very cool. I've talked about that before in the podcast. Um, the other one I mentioned before is a friend, an old friend um, lied about being at a games convention, falling through a curtain and coming across a wise old man who told him how to save Aerith from death in Final Fantasy VII <laughs> and about a fake material called Gold Materia. Um, but when pressed, this guy, who was a notorious fibber, um, would just reiterate the lie and never cave to the fact that it wasn't true, which was made it extra funny. Me and my friend Andrew, we discuss this constantly. Um, it's still funny to us after 20-odd 20, 20 years. Uh, I really so, hope Gold Materia gets discovered by, like, speedrunners next year. <laughs> um, I think people did find text evidence that there was... Um, um, some Aerith dialogue after she dies in the uh, in the game, but like um, I don't think it was ever. It was if only you had the gold material. <laughs> yeah, all she says is, "I wish I was still alive." That's what she says. Um, oh. <laughs> that's bleak. Uh, so yeah, like non-games, the one I never got over, like how clearly shit it was. Christopher Nolan is in talks to direct the Justice League movie, and it was obviously never going to happen because why would he give a shit? about fucking imagine christopher nolan putting green lantern in the film it wasn't going to happen but like <laughs> that dude just you'd see his rumors over and over again and i was like that clearly was made up like there was never a good source for this and like mm. you say people have a short memory for this stuff remember when it wasn't uncommon to see some tuck shop fair get a video game tie-in or brand placement we had zool cool spot and of course the seminal kp skips action biker with clumsy colin wasn't there also something called death stranding i don't get that no, I don't get that either. <laughs> anyway, Confusing. if this practice were to return, <laughs> how would you like to see your favourite tuck shop treat featured in a hypothetical game? That's from Personal Idea for the third time. Yeah, so um, I actually like fictional food in games, really. Like, I like the um, packaging and prey, um, all the fake, like, dried food they have in space. Mm-hmm. That rules. I love that. I like the fake cereal that Adam Jensen has in Deus Ex uh, Mankind Divided. That's... Um, that's really good. That dude really fucking likes cereal, which is funny. Um, Metal Gear has some fun ones, like Calorie Mate <laughs> and uh, that sort of thing. Um, a tuck Shop Treat. I don't know. I wouldn't mind seeing a character in a game mimic my obsession with foam bananas. Um, mm. Because I've got COVID and I had to go and get some groceries, I did indeed add two foam bananas to my basket. And when I got there, they substituted them for another far inferior candy. And I was livid. I thought you were going to say a real banana. <laughs> You're like, fuck you! I want, give me my candy! <laughs> yeah, I want my synthetic bananas! Fuck you! <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. So I suppose, like, foam bananas is my answer to that one. Matthew, what about you? All I wrote down was Cook Serve Delicious, Tony from Intermezzo DLC. <laughs> um, That's good. Just, just the idea of Cook Serve Delicious is like this almost time management game where you're cooking lots of dishes to keep everyone happy and i was always amazed by tony at lunchtime his ability to juggle like five different sandwiches and hold all these different orders in your head i actually think there's a good video game in that kind of sandwich shop lunch hour rush (laughs) um well there's that mini game in the fucking kirby game i hated that mini game um did you play that one where why is kirby working a fucking burger restaurant where he saved all those little waddle d's do you know what i mean (laughs) that that was something that crossed my mind but in that you have to like basically do one after another orders and it's that can be quite tricky um mm. but yeah but that's just like left right you just have to give them you've got like one of two foods and you have to give them their right order yeah that's you true. know i'm talking yeah. about like oh remember that you've just put in a you know a load of bacon in the fryer and remember that you need to put in some baguettes to heat up for the next lot and i think there's a game in that it's not maybe a great game but a game nonetheless i i asked for no chives no chives in my bagel that kind of thing 
Um, yeah, and yeah. then like you know, ham in a space bar to do some like banter with the customers. That'd be good. Yeah, different choice of dialogue of slightly inappropriate uh, things to say. Um, yeah, that's but that's it's okay because he's old. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, yeah, I think we've <laughs> answered that one very strangely as uh, as usual. Um, that's what happens when you ask answer this many questions in a row. Uh, last one then, uh, Matthew. Um, hi, Matthew and Samuel. This one's for you, I think. I just wanted to send a quick note to say thanks for all the great content you've created over the last few years. I used to listen to a few podcasts which featured Matthew regularly, PSM3 and Talk Radar UK. Were you on that? I don't know. Um, I think I'm I was sure... on like a couple of episodes. Oh, each. there you go. Very memorable. I'm sure some of the hosts from back then would love to come on. The episode with Dan was fantastic. Um, also, I just wanted to say thanks to Matthew for the Japanese crime fiction episode. You started a new obsession. Any chance for part two? It's been really refreshing to hear a UK-based show, which is entertaining, but also uh, really well-informed. Thanks again. The pod has given me another reason to look forward to Fridays from Rob Hughes. So um, a part two of the patron-exclusive Japanese crime fiction episode, Matthew. Do you think that's on the cards for this year? We, we haven't hammered out what year two of Patreon might look like, so I don't know. I've, I've certainly got enough. Um, I don't know if I'd want to like subject Sam to another two hours of me bollocking on about books he hasn't read, but... Oh, uh, the tables are about to be like turned when I talk about fucking graphic novels this month, though, on the XXL. So I think I'm more interested in graphic novels than you are Japanese crime fiction. <laughs> I don't know. You gave me that um, book with a really confusing ending to read, and I read it, and we talked about it. It was good. Yeah. If we did another episode, we'd have to do another book club reading exchange. Um, yeah. Yeah, potentially. Um, we'll, we'll see. Like, we, like Yeah. The idea of it, we've just, just got to do some brainstorming, really. There's probably like a British crime fiction or something like that to be done, yeah. right? Like, it's, you know, you read a lot of that stuff too, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe do a wider a wider crime fiction. That's um, good. But yeah, we got me and Matthew have to debate whether we're going to take a break this year or not uh, yet. So um, we'll do that and then we'll talk about <laughs> the Patreon stuff as well, I'm sure. Um, so yes, uh, that I, I, I would be up for that though, Matthew. I would, um, I'd be happy, happy to sit through that and uh, read another book. That'd be um, absolutely fine. I think that was a really good episode. So, Mm. yes. Okay, the podcast is done. Slightly longer than I thought it would be. It always fucking is. So, the podcast, you want to follow us on um, Twitter, it's BackpagePod on Twitter. Support us on Patreon.com slash BackpagePod for two additional episodes a month at the XL tier. I'm Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter. Matthew, where can people find you? Mr. Basil underscore pesto. We'll return next week with um, lots of shaky predictions for 2023. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.